Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Aubrey Loveless. And I'm Danielle. Hey, everybody, it's an all-Hellboy podcast, and we're reading all the Hellboy comics. Every week, we interact with our awesome listeners, and now Danielle's going to tell you all about it. Oh, is that what I'm doing? Okay, I'm going to do that. Hold on. So, we're going to read some stories, and then you're going to read them, too, and then we're going to talk about them, and you're going to listen to us, we're talking about them, and then you're going to talk about them, too. You send us an email. That's hey, damn guys. And then we're going to read that. <laughs> we're going to read what you talked about when you read the things after we read them and talked about them. And then that's a book club. And it's friendship. Back to you, John. Ah, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. And I want to give some shouts outs. You know, I don't talk shouts about outs. this. I haven't talked about this in a while. But, you know, follow Mike Manilo's art on Facebook if you're not part of that page. It's like literally the only good reason to be on <laughs> Facebook right now. There was a whole thing uh, where uh, uh, someone was like, hey, here's all the pictures of when... Hellboy and Lobster were punching Nazis, just like Jack Kirby would have wanted. And Mike Mignola and his wife were like, yes, this is good. And yeah. Jerry Jerry Turnbull and Mark Tweedo were all like, yes, this is good. And then there were a couple guys that were like, no, we like Nazis. We're bad. And everyone was like, get the fuck out of here. And they got kicked out. So that's how you know that it's a community that you want to be a part of. Yeah, there you go. So there you go. It's a quality community. It is. There you go. Yeah. yeah. It is. There's lots of there's lots of book club members in there, and then lots of people that are not, but we like them and they're cool and good. Super good. So yeah. I also want to shout out the Mignolaverse subreddit on Reddit. That's also a really cool place to go um, to check out your Mignolaverse stuff. And the Hellboy Wiki is also a great resource. I use that a lot when I'm preparing my show notes. And I want to make sure to mention Lightbox Expo is going on right now. I don't know if it'll still be relevant by the time this episode goes up, but I still wanted to shout them out because you can pick up an awesome Mignolaverse tote bag uh, drawn by Mignola. Also, Mindy Lee has some art available. And so we covered Mindy Lee when we were reading the Crimson Lotus story. And right now, if you use the code Mindy Lee 2020, you can get uh, 20% off. And so I actually picked up some sketchbooks by Mindy Lee. She's got some awesome art on there. So I thought that was really cool. So go check that out. That's pretty awesome. All right. And now we're going to go on to our listener feedback. So get out your treats and floppies. Get out your hardback copies. Digital print is fine. You can read along in time. We had an email from William Payne. William Payne. Book club member. Book club member. He said, how does one become a book club member? You did it. That's it. You just did. There you go. That's it. And even if you don't, you know, ever, you know, if it's like a long time listener, first time caller kind of a thing, like, you know, you don't ever have to even write it. You are. If you're listening to this and you're reading the stories and you're listening to us, you're a book club member. Exactly. It's cool. And so, William, thank you so much. You know, he did contribute to our fundraiser. He said... I know that many fundraisers cannot list the contest winners publicly, but I was curious to know how much you guys were able to raise for Rain. And we didn't talk about this, so oh, we yeah, yeah. together we were able to raise $840 for Rain. That's awesome. That's a lot. Yeah, so I thought that was a good chunk of change. Yeah. And uh, he said, thank you for doing the fundraiser and making me aware of their work. I may do my own fundraiser for them later this year. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah, wow. so right thank on. you so much, yeah. William Payne, for chiming in and mega thanks again to Wes Mattice, Corey Green, Christopher Egan, Robert Wilson, Chris Rawl, Brendan Carter, Craig McKnight, and of course 
the great Lawrence Campbell, Lawrence Campbell for contributing all those awesome prizes. You know, we couldn't have done it without everybody um, chipping in and helping to spread the word for this awesome cause. And I really appreciate it. And I think um, that's two that's two back to back fundraisers for really good causes that y'all stepped up. And you know, I know that things are tight for some people. You know, and so that's that's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah, and there were I actually had to go back and pick some more names because a lot of the winners said, "Oh, I just wanted to donate." Yeah, you know, like, don't no, worry don't about it. Prize, you know, so. I don't want to win a prize. So yeah, I thought that was really cool. And congratulations to all the winners. They've all been contacted, and stuff has been mailed out. It's very cool to be part of a community that's interested in giving back and yeah. interested in um, being involved in these things. And so that's really cool. It was super cool. And it's cool to be able to like. Give people cool Hellboy stuff or whatever. Oh, you know, yeah. Like, hey, send you a send you a trade or whatever. Yeah, it's, you know, the Lobster Johnson trades are kind of hard to come by yeah, now. So, so you know, cool. one of the winners was like, oh, I'll take those Lobster Johnson issues because I don't have those. It's you good know? to know and that I, they are going to good homes. Yeah, yeah I want to read cool. those. Or another person, another person was like, oh, I never got to get the visitor when it came out. Hey, so, yeah, go. give me those books. That's I want to read them. So, yeah, that was great. Get those in the hands of, you know, people who can really use those. And I want to shout out Christopher Egan. He had an awesome post. If you follow us on Facebook, he actually lived near one of the winners, David Forsythe. And so he went and met him in person to deliver the comics. Aww. And they took like a little selfie friendship. and posted it. Yeah. It was so that was awesome. Friendship. Aww. That was really nice. I love hearing about stuff like that. That's great. Yeah. Making connections all around. And uh, just another congratulations to all the winners, you guys. Yeah. Uh, thank you for donating it. And hope you enjoy your prizes. Yeah. yeah, that was really cool. Last week we shouted out Ryan Yule and his lovely wife Laura on the birth of their baby. And Ryan said, Thanks for the shout out on today's episode, guys. I played it for Laura too, and she loved Aww. it. I'm pretty Aww. sure London is super excited about my Yay. Hellboy original art collection. Yeah. What little baby girl wouldn't be? <laughs> Listen, before you know it, this kid is going to be walking and talking and trying. So, yeah, hey. Absolutely. Reading Hellboy comics and talking yeah. to her parents. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the tiniest book club member. We got to do an itty bitty Hellboy yeah, episode for sure. just for that baby. Yeah, for the book club. Oh. Well, for all the book club member babies. That cool. and there you kiddos. go. Yeah. That's what we'll do for sure. All book club babies? There you go. <laughs> We had some feedback on our stories from Assortment of Horrors. Remember, we read those two short stories a while back from the actual book when we actually did a book club on the book club episode? Oh, yeah. 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 You can't see that. Y'all can't see the face I'm making, but it's a... Wait, what was it? Oh, yeah. It's that kind of face. We're like 108 episodes into this. So, yeah, you're kind of like, wait, what did, uh, we, what did we read? I like that you that you actually managed to get me to remember that by saying, oh, yeah, it was an actual book, you know, for the actual, for the book club. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we heard from Drew Campbell. Hey, Drew Campbell. Book club member. Yeah. He said, I'm finally catching up on this episode since I hadn't read the stories yet when it came out, which is kind of embarrassing considering I bought the book as soon as it came out. Uh as far as the promised smile uh, where it takes place at the end, Casper speculates that Hellboy might be in the mountains of Romania. Mm. Um, this is an obvious reference to Wake the Devil. That's where Wake the Devil took place. So yeah. maybe that's where it falls in the timeline. Okay. So I would say it's either a wink from the author indicating the story takes place uh, just before Wake the Devil, or it's Casper making a reference to recent events, which would put it not long after that story. Okay. As for the first-person point of view, I thought it could be a story that Casper actually wrote down after the fact, but I don't necessarily think it needs to be. To me, it kind of occupies the same space 
as, say, the voiceover narration of a noir detective film. At oh, any, sure. At any given yeah. time, the narrator doesn't necessarily know what will happen in the latter part of the story, but rather the narration is more of an expression of the narrator's thoughts or mental processes okay. as the story unfolds. You know what? I can dig on that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. He also said about The Other Side of Summer, I thought this was a beautiful story. That's the one where Hellboy yeah. meets that little girl, Jenny. Great. Tonally, yeah. tonally, it feels so much truer to the source material yeah. than so many of the other stories that are just about trying to come up with a crazy monster. <laughs> I'm not ashamed to admit that I shed some tears at the end. Also, I wonder if the guilt Hellboy feels about shooting that guy is subconsciously the reason that he becomes such a bad shot when he grows up. Yeah. Maybe he hated Uh-oh. that feeling so much he didn't want to be a good shot. So he wouldn't have to feel that way again. I love that they took it there. I love that they took it there because that's Ooh. something. And I, I don't know. I don't want to speak for you know other people, but for me, reading that story, you know, there's so much in there that I feel like a lot of us maybe could relate to. Looking back on our own yeah. childhood, growing up, you know, the golden years, like when you're a kid and you're just trying to figure shit out and make a friend you're weird. in the summertime. You're weird. Yeah, and so <laughs> especially when you're weird. It's, you know, and so that's something that when you take it there, like those nighttime confessions to your whatever best friend and it's very, you know, the whole world feels so big and dramatic and important and I feel like a lot of that hits close to home for a lot of people. Yeah. So I I can definitely understand how that would have been uh, something that, yeah, you can maybe relate to a little bit easier than some of those other stories for sure. Yeah, definitely. And I forgot that we mentioned this. We were talking about... Um, in that episode, they talk about waffles or pancakes. <laughs> and Drew Campbell said, Team Pancake all the way. Okay, right Pancake. On. Sure. <laughs> um, yeah, but nobody else chimed in on that. Let us know. Are you right. Team Waffles or Team Pancake? Let I don't us know. know. I don't think... I, now is not the time for division, John. <laughs> you know? Let's all enjoy syrupy breakfast foods together. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, whether it be in little flat cakes... Or, you know, whether it be in a crispy, textured mm, kind of a... I kind of want a waffle now. Yeah, waffles are good. <laughs> no, I don't want either one. Uh, right on. That's also <laughs> valid. What's your breakfast food of choice, Aubrey? Yeah. Ooh, uh, breakfast tacos. Mm. Oh, right on, right okay. On. There you go. True Texan. Or uh, <laughs> bacon and eggs. Yeah. Oh, but then like a breakfast taco for me is also bacon and eggs wrapped in a tortilla. <laughs> yeah. Get potatoes in there. You got potatoes and cheese in there. Oh, yeah, of course. Right on. We had some feedback on Rasputin, Voice of the Dragon. Nathaniel Green said... Hey, Nathaniel Green. Book club member. Book club member. He said, I'm way behind on the podcast, but here's an unsolicited sketch by the graceful and generous Christopher Mitten. So he met Christopher Mitten at a con, and he just drew a sketch of Rasputin on the inside oh. without... Nathaniel even asking for what? it. That's what? that's very nice. Yeah, that was very generous with your time there. That's cool. Is it? There's there like a picture of it or? Yeah, he's got a picture of it on Facebook. I'll repost cool, that yeah. so you can check it out. Great. It was really cool, Sweet. and he it was also autographed by Chris Robertson. Oh hey. Yeah, so oh, he wow. said uh, they were really cool. Aww. He said I love this fandom. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that, Nathaniel. We had some feedback on Frankenstein Underground. <laughs> The story we read last week? I'll refrain from (laughs) singing the thing. Go for it. I'm still going to put it in there. No. Jerry Turnbull said... Hey, Jerry Turnbull. Book club member. Book club member. If there ever was a cornerstone book in the Hellboy canon, this must surely qualify. It's a dream book. Starts off as a pulpy adventure and then adds layer upon layer to the lore of the world. So good. 
I never got the significance of the chalice till Mark spelled it out. Thanks, Mark. Yeah. Thanks, Mark, for being on the episode last week. Yeah, he really absolutely. brought his A game. I really thought that episode came out amazing. Oh, yeah. And next week, Kashi, fantastic. My favorite title that spun off from the main story. I have a question. No doubt these stories are very good. A little sideline here. Is it Kashi or Kashki or how is that? pronounce what is the i don't really yeah, know I'm, I'm glad you asked that question so um i did look it up again i think i looked it up when we read darkness calls right. I, I looked it up again for this episode and i found three different videos and they all had three different pronunciations oh, that's fun so you know i think that it depends on what part of the world right. you're in you know i saw kashe oh okay s-h-a-y i saw kashki sure and then i saw like Kashke. Uh, there, no, there was a weird one that was like Kloshki. Oh, okay. Or oh, something okay. like that. Uh, or, uh, I wonder what the definitive... I mean, can we... <laughs> we'd love to well, ask because, um, Mike Mignola just bother him while he's probably busy doing shit, drawing think, uh, things. Be like, excuse me. Excuse me. Just real quick. <laughs> sorry. How do you pronounce this? And he's just be like, really? I, I, think, <laughs> um, I think Mark said that Mignola says Kashki. Okay. So I don't really know, you know? And, and also... That character is not just from Hellboy; it's an actual Russian. No, folk right? Tale. Yeah, that's so. I think that's hence why I really am yeah. kind of trying to. So I don't right. know if it's like Kloshki, Koshki, sure. Koshe. There's a bunch of different ways to pronounce it. Right. So yeah, listeners, let us know what what you think is the proper pronunciation. We're always down for a good old pronunciation corner on if the podcast. You're, if you're either what? A Mike Mignola or B Russian, priority will be given to yeah, those. Yeah, okay. Because that's. What if the different pronunciations just come from different dialects of Russian? Sure, you know, absolutely. Like, yeah. You know, like we have like Boston English and, and Southern English. There you and, go. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's no right or wrong way to say yeah. certain words in this same language, I guess. So that's, you know, that is an interesting take. Yeah. yeah I say Kashi. Yeah. Okay. Because that's just what I have fallen into. But right. I could be totally wrong, as we have shown on previous episodes of the show. <laughs> <laughs> Most notably was um, Nimu. Yeah, well, yeah, it was Grogak. Yeah, Grogak. Yeah, Grogak. One of those. Yeah, I forget Nim- which one Nimway. is the correct one. No, probably the most egregious one is on the first episode when we said Mignola. Oh, <laughs> oh I'd rather not relive that. Oh no. We also heard from oh. Clayton Schofield. Hey, Clayton Schofield. Book club member. Book club member. He said, fantastic work, you damn guys. This week's episode was a nice deep dive, and you really hit it out of the park with this one. Loved every minute of it. Frank would be proud. <laughs> and um, last week, Aubrey, you asked for Hayden Orr's thoughts on Frankenstein since he's such a good fan. Oh, yeah. But what he said in his comment made a lot of sense, and so I thought that was Yeah, cool. he had a great comment. I- I'm going to go ahead and read it. Hayden, Hayden Orr. Hayden Orr said... Hey, you damn guys. Awesome episode, and I was so glad Mark came back for this one. First off, to answer Aubrey's question, I liked the Kenneth Branagh Frankenstein. Didn't love it, but it was good. Robert De Niro gave an unexpectedly good performance, even though I, liked I don't feel jacket. like he had the look down. I liked his coat, though. You don't miss the sports jacket? <laughs> <laughs> I do miss the sports jacket. So, did you like the movie? Yeah, it was okay. Frankenstein didn't seem quite right to me. I missed the sports jacket. Not that it was that nice of a jack. I mean, it didn't fit him that well, but to me, there's just something about a monster in a blazer. 
Which shows at least he's making an effort. De Niro is the same height as Branagh, and it always bothered me when the monster is short or average height in media. The fella is eight damn feet tall in the book, mm. and even in the old movies, even though he was never huge, except for Glenn Strange's portrayal in the last few Universal films featuring the monster, him already being 6'6 before donning the giant boots. I feel like you can be sh- uh, short and imposing, relatively short mm. even, and imposing, like, a, you know, Wolverine, right. etc. But Hugh Jackman was a tall guy too. Yeah, I think they did. His, I did. I think they did their best to portray him though as average height, right. which you know in Hollywood is kind of a big. Deal. Yeah, but, <laughs> it's kind of a big deal. But like Hugh Jackman is like like my height. Sure, maybe a little bit taller. Yeah. Okay. And you are tall, so that yeah. He says it's part of what makes Frankenstein so monstrous to regular people: the huge size, along with the uncanny valley features. But overall, not a bad film, though. I'd rather watch Gary Oldman as sad, horny Dracula in Coppola in Coppola's Dracula. Also, Gary interesting. Gary Oldman as Dracula, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we need to rewatch that. Yeah, we can see that awful Keanu Reeves accent. You mean amazing <laughs> and incredible? I've seen many strange things already. Bloody wolves chasing me through some blue inferno. Also, interesting tidbit. The main reason the monster is portrayed as a mute, arm-waving brute is because after the first three Universal films where the monster is decently intelligent can speak, the plot line for the monster involves having his existing brain replaced with the brain of Igor, played oh. by Bela Lugosi. The blood isn't a match, though, and this oh. causes the Igor monster to go blind, so in the subsequent portrayals, he holds his arms out to keep from bumping into stuff. Wow, Bela Lugosi. He knows a lot about Frankenstein. Yeah, you know, this, oh, this makes wow. me want to go and actually watch all this shit yeah. that you're talking about. That's, that's really interesting. Thank you for that. But nobody ever realizes that unless they're huge nerds, lol, anyways, onto my theory of Frankenstein and other Franken-zombies in the Mignolaverse. Okay. Okay, if you think about all the Kriegrafen and any instance of a biomechanical Frankenstein zombie appear in these comics... They're always covered in giant bolts. Those big old bolts. Just like the OG monster. Yeah. Hell, even Roger has a huge port on his chest <laughs> meant to hold energy. Presumably, Vril is what they try to channel, similarly to how Victor Frankenstein intentionally or accidentally channeled into the monster when he created him. Yeah, yeah. Though Roger Jack and the... Nicholson gif right now. Yeah. <laughs> Though Roger and the monster differ in that the monster seems to have a very set personality, whereas Roger kind of takes on attributes of whoever he hangs around with. Anyways, in Underground, we see that Frankenstein has been knocking around Europe since the end of the original novel, including being in Austria in 1911, which is very close to Germany, which is the birthplace of our most prolific Nazi zombie Stein and Nazi Frankenstein monkey makers, Cronin and Von Klemm. That's a mouthful. They were both born in the 1880s, if I remember correctly, from the Hellboy Companion, which would put them in medical school or graduate around the same time that Frankenstein was in Austria. Okay, okay. I mean, look at Von Klempt. He's got huge bolts under that pickled egg of a head of his. And I bet if you took Cronin's outfit off, he might have some bolts of his own. It's my headcanon theory that at some point in their years at medical school together, Von Klempt and Cronin came across Victor Frankenstein's journal, or maybe even Frankenstein himself. Sure, we love a good headcanon. And in studying him, they realize the secret to bringing the dead back to life. Huge fucking bolts. That's the secret. (laughs) It's true. Got a dead gorilla, slap some bolts on that oh, bad boy, and he's good man. to go. Jeez. The only reason the monster seems to be good or have his own soul or personality is that he was created with Vril and is apparently full of the stuff. 
but all the wannabe Frankensteins don't have Vril, just plain old electricity and chemicals, sure. which renders them mindless and soulless. Okay. Realistically, yeah. the reason they all look similar is probably because Mignola likes drawing big chunky bolts on Frankensteins. Sure. And I mean, who could blame him? Yeah. But I posted this idea a couple years ago, and Mignola himself commented and said that it gave him more ideas for the monster. Oh, shit. I nearly had a heart attack when I read that comment, lol. But I hope he wasn't kidding, and we get another Frankenstein series after the newest one. Or maybe the new series ties that idea in somehow. It makes too much sense to me to not be at least close to what happened in-universe. Follow the bolts, people. Follow the bolts. Also, John, I'm sorry you have to read this long ass comment. No, it's great. <laughs> that was some good content great, right yeah. there. I love the That's idea that Cronin and Von Klempt would come across Victor Frankenstein. <laughs> you know, we watched uh, the Kenneth Branagh Frankenstein. We we recently watched it. We were all excited to watch the movie. I put it in the the player, and I accidentally bought a full screen <laughs> DVD. I was so angry. So mad. We almost didn't watch it because I was so mad. That that did not. No, that wasn't even an option. We were definitely watching it, but he was pissed. (laughs) He was like, "What the fuck?" But I, but I, there's that scene where they're all in the medical school together, and I love imagining that Cronin and Von Klempt are somewhere in there in their human form before they become all weird. It's very easy to imagine that. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, that would be so cool for them to have like some. uh, cross paths like in lost or whatever you know they just happen to be in the right place at the right time there are times when when you know people's head cannons are so good that it actually makes its way into oh yeah the true canon and i think that that's that's why i mean Mignol himself was like hey yeah that's not bad exactly so hey that's uh, really good but yeah man when we he put that disc in there i thought he was gonna have a fucking conniption fit (laughs) other than being full screen what did you think of the movie you know, I, I really liked it. it. It was very 90s, though. I thought they made some odd choices. Like, See, okay, here's the well, thing. On, I was wait. psyched about that, though. I'm yeah. always pumped when something is way too 90s. So. Spoilers for the 1992 Frankenstein movie. Sure. You know, I mean, yeah. it came out 28 years ago. But if Listen. you haven't seen it, you know, spoilers yeah. going ahead. All right. I, I thought De Niro was awesome as the monster. You know, um, there the scene where he's like, is watching those farms people. Yeah. I really love those oh. scenes. And like he yeah, gets man. all happy watching them and doing good like, deeds oh, for them. The forest fairy helped us and he was yeah, like, oh, that was me. I the did spirit that. of the forest. And God, it was really cute. And it was he heartbreaking was, when yeah. they, you know, they see him and then they start hitting him on the back and everything Terrible. and they force him out. And then he's all crying in the field afterward. Uh. You know, that, that was very emotionally affecting. Yeah. But there's this one scene <laughs> where Kenneth Branagh. He's all buff and shirtless, <laughs> and uh, and uh, he makes he makes the Frankenstein, and then the the thing spills over, and he's carrying him out of the amniotic fluid, and they're like <laughs> slipping around on the ground, and it seems they're just like falling all over each other. It, 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 seems, it probably yeah. it probably like lasted thirty seconds, but it seemed like it lasted five it minutes. It felt like, like five <laughs> entire full minutes like why is this taking so it long they're just slipping going. around frankenstein's all naked and he's all stitched they're up both, and all gross yeah, and they're like just falling around slipping around, around in this slippery goo and it was just like constant <laughs> like why are you still why is this still happening yeah why is this you, scene going on so long like two or three times you looked up and you're like is this scene still <laughs> happening like is this still why is it taking on? so long yeah um it but good, then though. um 
And then I thought it was strange that they turned Elizabeth Helena Bonham Carter into a Frankenstein at the end. Well, I, I thought think that, that was, was a kind weird, of them trying to smush the book the, and the Bride of Frankenstein, the Bride of Frankenstein together. Into there. Yeah. yeah, I thought that was kind of a weird it's a choice. Take. You know, it, it, it was interesting. What but was then, weird to me is like, why do they have scars all over their faces? Because I remember when he was cutting people's heads off. He like he cut the people's heads off pretty cleanly at the neck, right? And then like Well, Frankenstein it makes sense because he put a different brain in there. Sure, sure, sure. But but, I'm, but her No I don't, no no, but I don't understand okay, like you can put a different brain in somebody without going through their face in several different locations. So that still doesn't make I, sense I, to I, me. I kind of feel like you can put a brain into someone's skull. Sure, they had their heads chopped off at the neck and then they had their brains replaced, but I kind of feel like Neither of those areas are the face. They had all these scars in the middle of their faces, which is like, I don't really get I think th- that's why where they I, were there. That's where I think it was like a 90s thing. Yeah. I think it was like, oh, let's put a scar around his eye. Why did he accidentally cut like, their faces? Yeah. Like, why would you do that? Maybe that particular version of Victor Frankenstein just really liked that sort of goth metal um, aesthetic. It's I, like, my, yeah. My, my, my reanimated corpse is going to look cool with all super these Super cool, scars. yeah. Super cool scars, yeah. Yeah, but I thought um, I thought De Niro was the best part of that movie. Sure. You know, he was really good. You know, the ending was pretty cool too. You know, he floats off with Victor Frankenstein, and they he sets himself on fire or whatever, and they both float off together and stuff like that. So, I mean, it was enjoyable to have on. Sure, you know, and, we definitely and, had it on. Yeah, we definitely had it on, and <laughs> and it was entertaining. You know, it wasn't like. You know, there's been times where we've tried to watch other movies from the 90s and we're like, okay, this is Can't just too boring no. and this is too terrible. Like, uh, like I was like actively like, oh, wow, this is pretty cool. You know, John Cleese was in there yeah. and they had like fucking Amadeus was in there or whatever. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, there it, were it times was... where I had to actually like stop doing whatever stuff I was doing and be like, I should actually watch this and just kind of re- rewind it a little bit and be like, yeah, this is. And and and, and there were some engaging. parts that there were some parts that I was like, holy shit! Like the whole reason De Niro's character is killed is because he he doesn't want to take a polio vaccine. <laughs> And he's like, you're not going to stick me with that. And so uh, I was like, wow, this guy's a real anti-vaxxer. He stabs stab the fucking doctor. doctor and kills him. Listen, because... we don't want to give anyone any fucking ideas. And then they killed the a little kid. There was that scene. That was fucked up. That was and, a lot of fucked up shit. And then like uh, th- that one girl, they she gets framed by Frankenstein as having killed the little kid. So then they throw her off yeah, the thing and hang her. Up. And I was like, holy shit, this movie's messed up. And then, like, Frankenstein rips Helena Bonham Carter's heart out and shit like that. That's I was like, up. oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, that was like, a little gruesome. You know, I was, you know, so it, it was pretty interesting. I mean, Something I, about me I feel like I should go ahead and say is that I'd, I'm not really big into, like, gore or anything that's right. overly gruesome like that. So I'll kind of distract myself while that's happening and, like, not look at the screen or do something else and kind of... Cause, so I am aware that that shit happened, but I'm also like... I'm not gonna watch that shit. I don't know. I was into it. I so was like, sure, wow, sure. you know, this is a horror movie. Right, I mean, absolutely. It's a, you yeah. know, it's definitely a horror movie. They they definitely added that horror element, but I thought there were some odd choices again, the nineties. Yeah, which is again, I'm not against it. Yeah. I'm all about you making odd nineties choices. When when we were done with it though, the only thought that we had is like, why hasn't someone made the actual book, the, yeah, man, like, like I feel made like a hardcore that's... adaptation of the mo- of the book. Even though I haven't read the book, because I even said, I even at this said, point, I know yeah. what happens in it. Yeah. So I, I even said I was like, hey, you know, you would think that someone would have made the Frankenstein Frankenstein, like the you know the actual thing. And he was like, oh, but this is supposed to be the thing. 
And I was like, well, I think because didn't someone say that this wasn't really exactly the thing? And so we kind of were like looking around for information on the Internet. And, you know, apparently I don't know if this movie ever really got made. Yeah. Because especially because like. You know, lately people have been well, like, oh, but this is a super faithful adaptation of the book. You're going to fucking love it. And like, you know, Lord of the Rings style. Yeah. Like. Someone well, needs to do that. And then like. Original I, trilogy. But it makes yeah. me want to watch these other ones because I know there's I, Frankenstein. Okay. The one that had, um, what's his name, who played Harvey Dent. And then there's the Victor Frankenstein that came out recently with James McAvoy and. Uh, that looks like a comedy. Is it a comedy? I don't or like, know. I don't, I don't, know, I don't really understand. But I kind of want to watch all these different Frankenstein sure. movies now. No, so I remember in the '90s. I remember it was being kind of sort of advertised as like because the way it was supposed to be like Bram Stoker's Dracula was faithful to Bram Stoker's Dracula, nice. which kind of was but wasn't. Uh, yeah. And they were marketing uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein as being truer to okay. you know the book because it was Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Sure. But but, I mean, of course, once it came out, everybody saw it, and they're like, oh, marketing cool. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it was truer than previous adaptations. Again, yeah. like, I haven't, and I feel bad yeah. talking about this without revealing the fact that, like, I have literally never seen any of these fucking movies except the one that we just talked about, and I have not read the book. And it makes me feel bad, so you don't have to write in and say, how dare you? Yeah. Because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it now. Yeah. I have to. I feel I like I kind of have now. to. <laughs> So, but, and I also want to go back and say like, hey, I know I was kind of on the fence about the Frankenstein underground, but in retrospect, yeah, it's good. Yeah, I liked it. Super good. Good shit. So. Um, and I also want to say, um, I was talking to Matt Strackbein. Matt Strackbein. Book club member. Yeah. Club member. Co-host. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, he was telling me that there is an awesome Bernie Wrightson adaptation of Ugh. the Mary Shelley novel. I want to read that. And so, oh, cool. yeah, I want to go check that out. There's like a graphic novel um, by Bernie dope. Wrightson. So, yeah, I really want to track that down, Hell too, and yeah. check that out. He was telling me it's definitely worth it. Yeah, I'm into his werewolf shit, so I have a feeling I'd be into that. Yeah, but that was uh, that was a great discussion. It's a Frankenstein podcast. Yeah. All <laughs> podcasts all the time. All Frankenstein all the time. All Frankenstein all book Frank- club members. All the time. That's right. <laughs> Jerry Turnbull also said. Jerry that Turnbull also said. <laughs> book club member. Book club member again. He said, uh, "Doctor Lubitsch, remember the doctor that um, Frankenstein encounters in the in the comic? He said he's a dead ringer for Ernest Thesinger, okay. who played Doctor Pretorius in The Bride of Frankenstein. Okay. And oh, wow. remember when they show that shot of him stitching Frankenstein together? Uh, Victor Frankenstein says. Now I know what it's like to be God. Right. He looks like Peter Cushing. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So we know that they in the past they've taken like old school horror actors nice, and put them into nice. the comic. So right on. And we had some feedback from Ross Radke. Hey, Ross Radke. Book club member. He said interesting discussions about the various iterations of Frankenstein, both within the Mignola canon and without. If I remember correctly, in the original book, Frankenstein actually starts to create a mate for the monster, but then changes his mind and destroys her body when it is nearly ready to be brought to life, thus motivating the monster to kill Dr. Frankenstein's bride. So the universal film, Bride of Frankenstein, is a bit of a what-if story where the monster's mate is actually brought to life, only to scream in horror upon seeing her intended. Right. I wonder if Mignola's Frankenstein ever found romantic love. Hmm. You know, because he's down there in Shambhala he's, now. Yeah. He's got the long hair. He doesn't look so bad. I wonder if he, is he, he like he a did. smelly, disgusting, rotting corpse? Or, because he seems like he's in pretty good shape. Yeah, like, he looks I don't really good. know what that... 
did the vril kind of undecay his flesh, perhaps, or yeah. something like that? And maybe he's, you know, it's well, not I mean, so bad. I mean, if you got to the flesh before it started decaying, I mean, you know, what if, I mean, it may have been spoiling, but it might still be, it might be okay now. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe my headcanon says that it kind of undid that and he's not a smelly, gross, decaying, rotting corpse. Yeah. And he's just kind of a maybe, guy with maybe, some gray skin and that's, you know. Maybe his intestines are stuffed with potpourri. <laughs> <laughs> Poopery. But I felt like the point of that. <laughs> I felt like the point of that ending was that he was going to be alone down there in this paradise by himself. Sure, chilling. You know what I mean? But I he seems like he's got dinosaur friends, which is cool. Sure, yeah, he's got some dinosaur. And friends. like maybe he's got some some like center of the earth friends, some some peeps who are like in little villages, hidden villages we didn't know about. Right, and it's like, hey. Right. Come chill with us in our village that nobody else, out, any outsiders knew about. You know, hey, be our friend. Chill with us. Hang out with us. So maybe he spent a long time in solitude and then found some friends. But you know how my headcanon always seems to revolve around things having a nice, happy, fluffy, peaceful I, well, ending? It's terrible. Well, bringing it back to Roger, you know, Roger was in love with Cloacina, who was like this goddess, sure, you yeah. know, like this kind of otherworldly. So maybe Frankenstein... ended up in a pretty chill place. Yeah, too, so, so maybe Frankenstein is kind of like... You know, he met that golden Hyperborean yeah. woman. You know, maybe he's got like some otherworldly love hey. or something like that. You know, not necessarily a physical thing, but like I'm pining for you in my heart. And not everyone needs to express physical love. And yeah. Some people are ace and not everyone needs uh, romantic love. Some people are aromantic. And you know what? That's fun and cool. So maybe Frankenstein is just uh, chilling yeah. with some dinosaurs and hanging out and having a good time. We had a good question from Seeker99 on Instagram. Hey, Seeker99 on Instagram. They're a book club member. They said, I would like to know what other famous literary figures are also real in the Hellboy universe. Hmm. We've talked about this, right? Because like Dracula is a real person yeah. in the Hellboy universe, right? Yeah. And, there are um, several Draculas. No, but Vlad Dracula the is actual actually Dracula. in Wake the Devil yeah. is referenced. He's the Dracula Dracula. And for then sure. what other are there any other literary figures? I don't know. Right now I'm kind I mean, of Baba Yaga. Um Kashi, we're gonna talk about today. He's a literary figure, right? Kashi. Um Vasilisa. Mm-hmm. What a Russian. Yeah. I'm so. trying to think I mean, if there are any other <laughs> Yeah, oh, Hecate, Hecate, like, Rasputin. Yeah, Rasputin. There's a lot of Russian stuff in there. Well, Rasputin was like a real person. He's a real oh, guy, yeah. He's yeah. not a literary like, figure. No. Like I mean, but the, this version of him is a literary... Dracula and Frankenstein were created characters. Right. I would think that folklore and sure. real people are different than literary characters. No, absolutely. Oh, okay. And I think that like some, but sometimes like real people, like they kind of are morphed into like a... Yeah, sort of an almost fictional character by, you know, various people throughout society. So it's like kind of on the edge there. Um, like Rasputin. Yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of there's been a lot of that. Yeah. Well, I mean, and Hellboy comes across a lot of he in his travels. You know, is walking around and hey, you're the I know you you're a troll. You're a that's in you're this the mythology yeah, and yeah. then this mythology. You're I'm King Arthur. We'll get into I'm, it. Yeah. So that's kind of a lot of there's a lot of I'm the King oh, yeah, of England. I got King Excalibur. Yeah, so you're right. there's a lot of that shit. And yeah, so because there's Merlin and Nimue. Merlin, yeah, Nimue, yeah. Wow. So pretty much all of it. Yeah, it like pulls I mean, from. That's one of the best things about super it. Super cool. No, it's good. Yeah, but I mean, because we we already know that like Hellboy is is built on historical fiction. You know, what I mean? yeah, absolutely. It's, no, it's, it's good shit. All woven throughout it. Yeah, interesting thing about it. Listeners, let us know if there are any that we missed. We in definitely our did because we so definitely missed a lot. Looking forward to that. All right, that was a great listener feedback section. Yeah. Wow, that could have been the whole episode. Absolutely, a star-studded <laughs> yeah. listener feedback. Good shit. 
Yes, it was. And just throwing it out there, since we, we heard from Ross Radke, Ross Radke has a thing going on for Stomped Issue 2. Oh, that's coming up. Yeah. That's coming up. So, so there's going to be a, is it, I, uh, is it a GoFundMe? Or it's going to be, there's going to be a Kickstarter. Kickstarter, yeah. I uh, I set myself a reminder, or I set, you know, a follow so I'll get a notification when it goes live. Yeah, we're pumped about it. So there's going to be a Kickstarter for Stomp 2. Ross Radke will definitely tell you about that. It's going to be good shit. Yeah, we'll have to have him back on the episode. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right, and now we're going to go on to our book club episode for the week. This week we're talking about Kashi the Deathless. Oh, this is a six-issue miniseries published from January to June 2018. Just like last week, we've got a killer lineup on this story. Story by Mignola. Art by Ben Stenbeck. Colors by Dave Stewart. And letters by Clem Robbins. This week, we're discussing issues one through three. And we've got some awesome Mignola covers on this thing. Yeah, these are great. Yeah, Kashi looks a lot like Lemmy from Motorhead. Oh, yeah. I thought that throughout (laughs) this entire read. Is that who you cast him as? Absolutely. <laughs> For sure. Never truly gone. Who'd win in a wrestling match? Lemmy or God? Lemmy. God. Wrong, dickhead. Trick question. Lemmy is God. So I love this story. I love the Ben Stenbeck artwork. And as we jump into this issue one, you know, we always talk about that these stories make you want to go back and read another story. So Big this time. definitely um, harkens back to Darkness Calls. We actually get shot-by-shot recreations from Duncan Fregredo's work in that series. Yeah, it does a really good job of, I think, the shorthand retelling of that yeah. because it really feels very full. He picks those very key moments and, um, like you said, like recreates them in his style. And so the storytelling is well done in that, yeah, are they flashbacks? Sure, but do they also meld really well with the story that's being told yeah yeah because it's like it's not a clip show it's kind of like a new version of what the the things that were going on right. so it's kind of you know it's forgivable in that if this was like a, a tv show or something sure. you'd be like oh is this going to be a clip show? no they're showing new shit too so it's very so i like i like that it's we get these very iconic you know, scenes that we recognize, but we're getting new information. We're getting new parts of the story and right. that's, you know, it's being flushed out. And so that's something that I really, really dig. And also I love the way that he draws Kashi. I mean, it's perfect. Like there's so, there's so many panels where I just had to stop and go, this is great. I mean, yeah. they, he did such a fucking good job with this character. Like he's, he's perfect. There are, there are plenty of panels where I was just like, this is a fucking perfect depiction of this character. And then, and Hellboy as well. I mean, yeah, I honestly think he did a fucking great job with Hellboy, too. So, great job all around. Great shit. When we read Darkness Calls, he's kind of like the big bad. But here, we really see that that character has a lot of, like, depth and emotion. You know what I mean? Was he really the big bad? Wasn't it really he the puppet with his strings being pulled by Bobby? Yeah, Yeah, there was always kind of a tortured soul angle. But I think they're really going for it here. So this one, this one panel here where he's like all big and screaming Hellboy. This this artwork is just like amazing. But I, I like the belt. You got all those stars on it. Oh yeah. If, if you realize that those are the belt loops because you see the belt latch thing go through the yeah, loop that's right dope. there, and that just makes me laugh. It's <laughs> It's good that's shit. a nice design. It's very Lemmy slash like Lobo almost. It's very like yeah. And, um, but it's also functional and stylish. There you go. There were a lot of, I don't know if you remember, there were like five right hand of doom booms in that Darkness Calls issue where they're fighting. And here they are. And so we're getting them all in here, which I think is really great. So you've counted them. 
Yeah, well, we yeah. counted them when yeah. we read Darkness Calls. But I just like, like you said, I like that they're coming in at a different angle, super far angle here, and we're seeing that part of the story, but it's from a different kind of, you know, you get a fresh take on it, which I, I really dig. And, and and I like this too, just like Danielle mentioned, we're getting a different angle on this because we're just seeing the Kashi Hellboy point of view. You know, Aubrey mentioned that panel where, where Kashi gets all big, but right before that, you see his eyes glow green. Yeah. So that's where Baba Yaga's blowing her last breath yeah. into him. You know what I mean? And then he gets more power and then he gets all big. And then Hellboy's like, you know, he recognizes that, that it's the Baba Yaga. And he's like, lady, leave the poor bastard alone. You want me? Get off your lazy wooden ass and come here. I'll poke your other eye out. And, a- and then he says Rasputin. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. It, if you remember Baba Yaga, she's out of breath at this point, And she's like, ah, uh, there's one more thing. And she takes the acorn that has Rasputin's soul in it. And she's about to use it. And then that little guy, Koku, her little sidekick, goes, Oh, no, you're not going to do that. And he throws the acorn into the fire. And then he says Rasputin. But, like, in this, you just get, like, Hellboy's like, What did you say? Really bringing it home that this is not him doing any of this. It's all, you know, it's all Baba Yaga. She's controlling all of this. And so that's, I, yeah, like, like you said, I love that different angle kind of a thing. There's so often. There will be like a quote unquote flashback or retelling or it's a clip show kind of a thing. And it'll just be it'll just be so boring. And I'm just like, all right, can we get to the I, I know. All right. Come on. And so this is not that at all. I wouldn't put that in the same category right. at all. I, I would put this in a in a different thing altogether. It's so well told. It's very well constructed. They really put a lot of thought into this, not just the art, but the story itself. I think like uh, being a writer has to be difficult because... I can't think like that. I don't really know. So like the whole exposition thing, the problem of the exposition, you could put a lot of bars or whatever and just like a bunch of boxes saying, and then this happened and that happened and then this means that. and Or you could actually be really fucking good at dialogue. And just have it play out like this. Yeah, and that's something that is, you know, chef's kiss. That's rare. It's not so much that we need to be caught up on this. It's that giving us this information again is a natural part of the story that is now being told i really appreciated the fact that they did that so well yeah it wasn't lost on me that they did it in such a way that was thoroughly fucking enjoyable like this book can stand on its own kashi he's hearing baba yaga saying strike him dead and he's like lying hag i'll strike but this last blow i strike for myself and so he throws the knife at hellboy just like we saw in chapter six of darkness calls and then you see in Hellboy's right hand of Doom, he's got the napkin yeah. from Vasilisa. So what happens next is he drops the napkin. It turns into this huge river. And then Kashi's so like fucking cool. floated away by all that water. Um, but we don't see that. We pick up on this. I love this yeah, frame. Yeah, this panel is so good. The framing of this story. He's like, uh, I always felt bad about that. The dagger in the back. But I was very angry. You see, I'd sworn I'd never serve the Baba Yaga again. But she'd gotten her hooks in me. I became her agent in her cause against you. And there on the rock, she claimed me altogether. Made me her slave. But at the very end there, I was finally myself again. I aimed the blade at you. But really, it was meant for her. And so it says, now, somewhere in hell. Yeah, this is great. And I, I love, you know, this is action scene. There's... 
I mean, this guy knows how to draw a fucking action scene. Like, just the angle where Kashi's about to throw the knife, and then, it, I mean, that's... And then, like you said, he switches right over to a, a tavern setting. There's clearly a, uh, a bottle. It's very antique-looking bottle. You got a little stein there. <laughs> and then the next page, you look, and it's, you know, somewhere in hell. They're in this... Uh, they're in a bar. That's uh, the, uh, the drunken limpet. Yeah. Limpets are a group of aquatic snails Aww. that exhibit a conical shell shape. And a strong muscular foot. Although all limpets are members of the class Gastropoda, limpets are polyphilic, meaning the various groups which are referred to as limpets have descended independently from different ancestral gastropods. I love limpets. The common name limpet also is applied to a number of not very closely related group of sea snails mm. and freshwater snails. Mm. So the drunken limpet is like a drunken snail. snail. (laughs) You said it has a strong muscular foot. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you're saying you wouldn't want it to put its foot down. Okay. (laughs) Okay. 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 Let's see what you're doing. But no. So they're 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 hanging out. Hellboy and Kashi. Hanging out in a yeah. fucking bar, having a drink together. And he's like, oh, you know, I, the blade, it hit you. It was meant, you know, it was meant for her. He's, I get it. Yeah. I get it, man. Yeah. Being bros. Love it. <laughs> he said, yeah, I've no. had worse. I love this. I love the fact that, you know, they're both in hell. They're having a drink together. And they're like, yeah. oh, yeah, no, man, I get it. I, yeah. I see. I, why, how do you know? We're going to Baba Yaga. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's fucked up. You know, it, and he's like, oh, it, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry about it. He's like, yeah, no, man, it's cool. But, it, you know, it kind of just makes me think of it all. It's just like, you know, you know, they're both in hell, so they don't have to worry about earthly things anymore. They don't have to worry about that yeah. shit anymore. It's like it's like we've seen with, like, Johan, you know, when he meets with spirits and they're like, you know, hey, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, it doesn't matter. So do you want to tell me? Okay, I'll tell you the thing. Yeah, yeah. you're right. It does harken it's, back to that. But then it also reminds me of this one, like, Looney Tunes episode where the hound and the wolf were trying to you know the hound was protecting the sheep and the wolf was trying to get the sheep but then there was like a bell whistle and they both seemed and they were like yeah <laughs> they're just enjoying lunch together and then the whistle goes back and goes oh i get it that's so funny For sure that's great they're both and they're both so well traveled at this point they've both been through so much fucked up shit i mean as we're about to see you know the entirety of kashi story but then also we've seen all of what hellboy's been through up until this point and so it it does make sense that they would be just bros by now <laughs> they, they would be like you know what i get it it's cool i love the idea of them two just hanging out in a bar and having drinks Hell you know yeah. hellboy drinks with dead people and kashi is deathless but he's also dead so it's kind of like this is a natural thing that would at happen at the end of everything <laughs> it's kind of like is it though can we just have a can we have a mug of ale and be pals and and i don't know if it's just the lighting in this tavern but Hellboy seems a little faded, too. He seems too. very gray, yeah. So is it is this after the events of For Whom the Bell Tolls, where he totally destroyed hell and everything? Yeah, it you know is, what absolutely. I, mean? I Definitely, for sure. I think this is after everything we're caught up. This is present time. Right. As much of present, quote-unquote, time, sure. because time is not even a fucking thing right now. But, yeah, <laughs> all those events took place. Hellboy and Hell took place. No, I, I, I think this takes place... In- during the events of Hellboy okay. and Hell. Okay. Because I feel like at the end of Hellboy and Hell, he walked out of Hell. Oh, the shapes. He went to that little house. The yeah. shapes. The shapes. Okay. So, sure. I remember Matt talking about it, like, you know, about how the way Hellboy would change color, be grayish, and be more, you know, vibrant. And right. there was a point, 
And I think this is somewhere before that point, Matt. I know you're listening. Please mm, yeah. tell me where I'm thinking. Because <laughs> I, know, I know you know this, Matt. Yeah. I'm with you. No, I'm with you, Aubrey. For sure. Okay, so this is kind of like it's happening. He's wandering around down there. It's about to happen kind of a thing. Or it's like, is time kind of super stretchy and weird? Uh, we do. Real, I mean, I do believe that hell is like on a different time point. Yes, so, for sure. Um, that kind of goes along with his next comment here because... Kashi's like, ah, oh, that's a long story. To tell it properly, I have to begin at the beginning. Pow, I've got nothing but time, Hellboy says. Yes, that does make me think that Aubrey's right in that he is still kind of in that right. like limbo-y, uh, time's forever, there's nothing happening kind of a deal before all of those big dramatic you know, events that we see. So, And I just want to point out, you know, as they're sitting here having drinks, there's a little painting above them in the middle of them, and it has a bell. I couldn't help but think of For Whom the Bell Tolls, mm-hmm. which is the last issue of Hellboy in Hell. And then we also see these two skeletons drinking over here, and I couldn't help but think of Mr. Jinx and Mr. Dean, <laughs> yeah. the two skeletons who were trying to make a map of hell. I wonder if that's them there having drinks at the next table. And Kashi says... Yes, nothing but time. Well, it was a very long time ago. There was a certain boy, an unremarkable boy. He was common, born of common parents, and having no choice in life, he became a soldier. And so, again, this reminds me of how Kashi became deathless by Guy Davis. Remember, we read that little short story. And so they talked about how Kashi was a soldier, but he was too good of a soldier. He had mercy on some of his enemies, and the other soldiers didn't like that. So one night they lured him into the woods, and they beat him nearly to death. I'm sure we've covered this, but (laughs) if you have someone on your side who's really good at doing the stuff that you're trying yeah. to do. This guy's I, too fair. Let's no, kill him. Like I'm just saying, like if you if if there's a guy on your side who's really good at achieving your goals, <laughs> wouldn't you be like, hell yeah, this is the guy and like rally around that guy right. and be like, Yeah, fuck yeah, this guy's on our side. Hell yeah, this is awesome. But that just never made sense to me. I don't know. But so and also imagine like having to like you're doing a story where you get to reference Guy Davis. Figredo. Duncan Figredo. Yeah. All these, you know, like, that's just like, yeah, hell yeah, I get to go through Mignol and Figredo and Davis and like all this shit. Like, that's cool. Yeah, and I'm going to talk about that a little bit more. I do like this, how he says, there was a dragon walking in the woods, but he sees him as a man. Yeah, he's a dude. But they always refer to him as a dragon. And so I'll talk about this a little bit more on some later panels, but I wonder if he's like always a dragon and always a man. Sure. Like at the same time. Absolutely. You know what I mean? I subscribe to that completely, yeah. I will get on board for that statement as well. Nice. The dragon says, you're going to die unless I heal you with my magic. Will you promise to be my servant for nine years and I'll save your life? And so he says yes. And again, so this shot of the dragon's palace is taken directly from the Guy Davis panel. Yeah, I it's love an, like the inside of the palace with all the all those guys hanging out. Yeah, so we see all these different monsters. And so this little pig guy that's like drinking something on the steps, we saw him in the Guy Davis panel. And then these two little demons, what is that that they're playing with there? That's like my favorite part of this panel. It's just like these, all this little shit going on. And these two little demons are like fucking playing poker or something. There's like little shapes down there. Yeah, though. they've got little shapes. I couldn't help but think of the shapes yeah. down there. We see like a pyramid... And what could oh, be like a cube or something. They're playing some kind of little game. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. From 
not zoomed down. It looks like playing cards. Yeah. And then there's also like, there's like a but little. Now I'm, now I'm all zoomed in. <laughs> I'm seeing the triangle circle in the square. Yeah. Yeah. On closer inspection. Thought... And there's a guy who's like, he's like doing the doop doop. Yeah. <laughs> the little the trumpet guy. Here. There's a guy, there's like a big frog guy with a cool robe. He's got a little like, light. he's making a light. Yeah. And his friend's like, nice, nice. Right on. Cool. And then like. I'm so yeah, sorry, but like I didn't even notice this before. But there's a huge bird, just like, "Hey guys, we on, we yeah. on." In the background, on the far right of the panel, there's this huge like bird guy, just being like, "Hey guys, what's up? What are y'all up to?" He's like, he he's looking down all jealous because he can't get in on like the card game or the. I the, feel like he's chilling. Yeah. I feel like he's just a little bit shy, and he's like, "Hey guys, what are you? What's what are, what's everybody up to?" <laughs> yeah, there's but, so much going on. There in this is, game. yeah, it's beautiful. It's really wonderful to like just there's so much it really um i mean the the, the skeleton blowing the trumpet is, yeah. is writing bear i love that i love that little doop doop guy um there's so much here to prompt the imagination yeah. like i wonder what that whole scene is like just i would love to hang out there did this little red flying dragon make you think of anything hell yeah hell yeah Remember Strobel? Uh, Strobel always had those salamanders flying around him, those little red salamanders. It kind of made me think of that. Kind of looks like the oh, like the yeah. thing on Rasputin's robe, too. Oh, yeah. It does kind of look like the Project Ragnarok symbol. But these yeah. guys all seem chill. Like, I would hang out with these dudes. I would hang out with all these guys. And so, like, he's like, ah, I'm a servant. I'm scrubbing the floors. And then he was like, hey, you want to learn magic? And I was like, no. I would have been like, hell yeah, I'm staying here forever. This is dope. Right. Like, I don't know. So... Kashi's a Russian folklore, right? Yes. So then that possibly is the Rasputin dragon. Hey, maybe. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Who knows? I like that. I, di- I, I didn't think of that. I was thinking more of the Strobel salamanders, but I think you're right on with that. I think that makes more sense. Just like in the Guy Davis story, the dragon says, oh, well, you know, I would have eaten you, but you did what you were supposed to, and you weren't too curious, and so... Now I want to have you as my son. And he's like, oh, but I want to be a man. So he gives him that magic shirt that makes him unkillable, basically deathless. He's like, you know what? You're a pretty chill dude. Why don't you hang out? Why don't you chill with me? And he was like, mm, I don't really want to do that, but thanks, though. So he becomes this conqueror. You know, he wins all these wars. And eventually word of him reached a certain king. And so he meets this princess and he gets married. And a lot of this dialogue is exactly from the Guy Davis yeah, panel awesome. where he says, I lived a strange life, but now I'm happy. And the princess says, as am I. Um, one yeah. thing that I did notice is the clothes were different. So in the Guy Davis, he's got like a hat and a different kind of jacket thing right. than he does here. But I do like this version better. Yeah, this is cool. I also, I know you're trying to move it along, but there was this one other panel with the the dragon where he's like, hey, chill here forever, learn some magic, you know, just hang out, we'll have a good time. And he's like, you know what, I'm going to go out into the world and live like a man. That's his words. Part of me wonders, what if he had just said, sure, I'll stay here. Right. I'll learn magic from you. I'll be a part of this little community here. I wonder if his existence would have wouldn't have been so tormented and so right, fucked up yeah. full of violence and all this fucked up murder and dying and just unable to just like it's so much horror it's so much just the worst uh, possible shit you can think of i wonder if he had stayed there it's starting it's starting to make me think like the the dragon is like 
maybe he's a chill guy. Maybe he's like a cool dude and is not bad. And is I definitely want to come back cool. to that. He thought. seems yeah. like just like a really cool guy. And I feel like maybe if he had stayed there and fulfilled this role of like his son and become a sorcerer, maybe he would have been like a a good sorcerer, like a Merlin or some shit. Like, sure. what if he had done that? I don't know. So then, that's what. This kind of thing was more of a crossroads moment for me here, being able to look back on it from what I'd already read. So mm. that kind of made me read into it a little bit more of like, this is the cross, this is the thing. Right. This is the crux here right now that uh, it could go one way or the other. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I think that um, because, you know, like he says, like, you know, he keeps his head down while he's in his nine years, doesn't interfere otherwise he could have been damaged or hurt and then the dragon was like hey i would have eaten you if you'd come to nosy or something like that and well i'm not saying that it he wouldn't have had you know an interesting life there i think he would have still had a troubled life mm. had he stayed there it just would have been of a different sorts hmm. I, don't, I don't i don't think i don't think if he stayed there it would have been a pleasant life because i mean he is dealing with creatures that deal with demons and darkness sure i mean i I never really saw them as dark though like i always think they're kind of doing i mean mean, that's their stock and trade i mean well i don't know like is it because they're shown doing pretty innocuous things they're just like playing trumpets and fiddles and games (laughs) and shit are they really doing anything evil like it seems like they're just chilling I mean, that's probably because they're like at the bar. I guess. (laughs) But in this guy is also like, yeah, he says like, "Ah, I would have, I would have definitely done something bad to you if you'd proved too care. I would have eaten you, but you did really well. I see that as kind of a like apprentice role almost of like, hey, you paid your dues. You did your apprentice shit. You really did a good job. You know what? Time for you to become the master. Let's do this. And he was just like, nah. So I kind of part of me, I guess I'm coming at that from that angle of like, now nah, you did it. Like you got there. Like, this is cool. Stay. I don't know. Maybe I'm, I, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm identifying too much with that like guy as maybe he's not a villain. Like maybe he is. It's possible that he, I'm reading too much into that. So, I mean, you know, that's what Strobel wanted. He, he's like, no, I'm going to stay here. Right. We saw what happened with him. Well, yeah. yeah, but this is not that. So, but I don't know. Yeah. Maybe you're right. Who knows? That's true. I do like that you bring that up, though, because when I went back to the Guy Davis, how Kashi became deathless, all these panels are very dark and blue. Yeah. And then here, it's Dave Stewart again coloring them, but he colors them very warm and red. You know what I mean? There's more color to it. So, yeah, it's kind of a different point of view, maybe, that we're getting of this. It does maybe lend that there's more nuance. There's a little bit of layers to that. Yeah. Who knows? But I do love this where he says, and I was happy, I was content, but my wife. And so, like, we zoom in on her and she's all angry. And then we see that she's looking at the shirt. Like, I just love the pacing of these three bottom panels. You know, how in the midst of him being very happy and content, she's not, you know, and just that expression that Stenbeck gives her. Just tells so much. She's also lying to him. She's also like, I'm super happy about this. I love it. Right. And he's like, oh, cool. Well, okay. Sounds good. And just like in the Guy Davis one, the guys come over. They're like, quickly, you fools. He's like, eh, what? Walk. Yeah, and so that's we've the seen ex- that before. That's the same exact uh, pacing there. So I really like that, how they even have the black panel with the walk in it. They chopped him to pieces and they put him a sa- in a sack and hauled him off to the woods. So in the Guy Davis, the dragon comes and he's like, 
I smell familiar blood. What's this? And then he's like, rah! But here he's the man. You know what I mean? So in the Guy Davis, he discovers him as the dragon. So that also made me think like, is he the man and the dragon at the same time? Always. And to some, he appears this way. And to some, he appears that way. For sure. And then we get this shot of the lightning striking over the dragon's palace. And in the Guy Davis one, it's all red. But here it's blue. It's, yeah. So again, I think it's interesting how they play with the color. If you go back and you look at these side by side, it's playing out the exact same way. And even some of the panels are laid out the exact same way. But the color is what's different. And Mark is always talking about color theory, and he was on here last week. So, you know, I definitely had that in mind as I was comparing the two stories. Well, and that's, I mean, color is important. Paying attention to that in these books is very worth it, for sure. Very worth it. And then on this next panel, we see the Russian version of death, which we saw also in Darkness Calls. And I like how they're like, think of what you're doing. (laughs) And then he's just like, he just ignores him. He's still bringing Kashi back to life. As you will, I pray you do not have cause to regret it. And I think that is the line, you know what I mean? That is the faithful line. In the Guy Davis, maybe it didn't mean as much, but in this story, that's definitely going to mean yeah, something. Yeah, fucked up. I just want to comment on the, the design of this uh, Russian death. I don't think I noticed it before, mm. but you know how he's like wearing the coat? and He's got the cl- design in, in the front of the cloak. It's a dope-ass coat, that. yeah. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's like clasp and all that. I just realized that's that's supposed to represent his rib cage as mm-hmm. like death being a skeleton and all that. And I yeah. was like, "Oh shit, Aubrey, I just got that." <laughs> <laughs> I love those moments. There was a there's a great moment in the uh, uh, Return of the King where he's coming and he's like, "Hey, mountain ghosts, you're gonna come fight for me? I got the sword. I'm the guy. I'm the king of the all of y'all. Uh, your oaths are fulfilled and shit." And the guy, the the main guy, the head ghost or whatever, his whole shit, his jacket is dope as hell. And it's like, you know, like ribcage time as well. Oh, okay. I really I really dig that design. So, yeah, I love anything that's like, ah, my jacket alludes to the ribcage. I'm a oh, skeleton, okay. but I'm stylish. So, yeah, I dig that. And this dialogue is also exactly the same in the Guy Davis version. Kashi, here's your soul. Your heart beats as it did before. Your lungs draw breath as they did before. All your bones and joints are as before. But this one thing I have kept separate. I have no more magic shirts to give, but so long as this is safe, no harm can ever be done to you. So I hid my soul inside an egg, inside a duck, inside a rabbit, inside a goat, inside a tree, on an island just beyond the edge of the world. And so we cut back to Hellboy and Kashi in the bar, and he's like, Then I went about my revenge. The assassins, my wife's lover. Your wife, Hellboy asks? I was very angry. Yikes. And so just like in the Guy Davis, we see that he he gets this army of mercenaries, and he just is pillaging and destroying all these things, setting fire and killing all these people. But here he says, I began to have a dream. And so on this dream, he's dreaming of where his soul is hidden and there's like a leaf falling from the tree. And so that signifies something to him. He's like, oh, I began to fear for my soul. And we see him before this statue of Perrin. So we also saw Perrin in Darkness Calls. He's like, have I damned myself? Perrin, god of my fathers, tell me what. And then we get this ominous, don't waste your breath, Kashi. When did he ever care for the affairs of men? 
And it's, uh, it's a horrible goose. I love this goose. <laughs> love this goose. Man, the way this goose is depicted, I'll never get over how some artists can can really imbue still drawings with so much movement. This is the way a goose walks. Yeah. That little, the little waddly the waddle, yeah. goose walk. So perfectly captured here. It's so fucking cute. And goofy and ominous. Yes. And that's a goose. That's a goose. And I love exactly. it. And so the goose says, my mistress knows you. She knows what troubles you and would see you put right. And so the goose leads Kashi and yes. his troops over to the Baba Yaga's house. We oh, see man, the chicken, chicken leg, leg house. house. I love this panel you know, with the chicken leg house in the winter. And we see those posts with all the skulls on them with the lights in their eyes. And a goose leading the way. Oh, man, it is so great. What do you think about this goose? <laughs> I thought it was so interesting to put this goose in there. I can't tell you have- how incredibly <laughs> deeply thrilled I was to see this goose. I was so fucking pumped. As you guys are talking about goose, all I'm thinking about is goose from Top Gun. Stay with me, goose. Stay with me. Uh, I can't help but think of the uh, the untitled goose game. So the goose leads Kashi to the Baba Yaga. She says she knows what Kashi has become. He's at the crossroads of being a monster or a man. I don't want to die, Kashi says. Can a man be a man if he will not die? A man can hide his soul without surrendering his human heart, the Baba Yaga responds. Well, I like this moment, though, where he says, can he? Yeah. I almost feel like he's not so much questioning that as challenging that. Right. Can can, can he, though? You know, so this, these panels here of Kashi, to me, really cemented this particular artist. Like, this page here is kind of, for me, like, okay, I'm all in here. I think that... His portrayal of, of Kashi here is this like super tortured. He's a big buff fighter guy, but he's like, I don't know about what about my right. soul. So this is, you know, this is some good shit. She tells him his black path is poisoning his soul. That's why he's come to her. And there's this woman standing beside the Baba Yaga. So that's the goose, right? Yeah. Is that like the human form? Because she calls Baba goose. Yaga mother. She's a goose and a lady all the time. Yeah. Like the dragon. Is that the one that the Baba Yaga ate that one time? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. Boo. boo. We had that story too. Terrible. Yeah. That's a good catch, Aubrey. Yeah, good catch. And Kashi, he remembers all the terrible things he's done. So in the Guy Davis one, you know, we see the wife and she's like, my lord, husband, mercy. And then it just says walk. But here we see that he actually yeah, cut her head off. That's pretty messed mm, up. And then we see him yeah. pillaging and killing all these people. And leaving all these towns wasted. The Baba Yaga says he can save himself if he does a good thing. Like kill dragons. And right when she says that, we get this mood panel. You know, it made me think of that Mignola pacing. Stuff like that. We get those skulls with the lights in their eyes. Yeah. Well, there's no lights there, though. Right. Dragons, Kashi says. I know your story, but you don't know the story of dragons. Of the beginning of the world and the spirits that were there in the beginning, the Baba Yaga says. And so I like this because she's like telling the story of the creation, but it's in her way, right? So is this like a numb getting the fire? But it's like she's using a little doll to portray that. Yeah, like little puppets and stuff. I, I, (laughs) my mind went to like, like a claymation kind of a thing. Right. Almost an animation 
Type like deal. the beginning of Hellboy 2, The Golden Army, where there's like all the puppets and stuff like that. Yeah. I cannot oh, remember yeah. what that looked like. But I don't know. That's what I thought perhaps. of. Perhaps. Yeah. And um, so she says, they dared to make creatures of their own. And in doing so, invited darkness into the world. So we know that the Ogdru Jihad were created. And that's when darkness were created. And that was dragons. So I think that they're there, here they're equating dragons with the Ogdru Jihad. And the dragons wanted the world for themselves, so there was war. And then we know that the Watchers went to war with the Ogdru Jihad and the Ogdru Hem. And she says, in the end, the dragons were defeated. But were they? Because mm-hmm. if you go back and you look at the island, we see that the Watchers cast the Ogdru Jihad out into the abyss, but they weren't necessarily killed. They were cocooned there. She's talking about, yeah, like some of them were killed and some of them hid themselves. Were they? Right grew old and now oh only this is the, the that remain so these remain and then the uh oh and then now there's eggs seven eggs right and then they'll hatch the race of dragons and that's going to begin again so we are familiar with this right but i i i think like you know we got one version of it in the island yeah then when we read frankenstein underground last week we got kind of a more we got more details of it and then here we're getting almost another version well, this of is, it. She's, so. she's manipulating this guy. Right. So she's obviously trying to cast it in a light of like, oh, and then this is so. I just think it's interesting that we get so many different perspectives yeah. on this creation oh, yeah, story. For sure. And what really happened, you right. know, how, how did all that really play out? Because here we, she says that there's still more dragons and we are going to see that there are more, that there are more. She's almost telling it like is the way that you would tell it to a small child. Right. And I feel like part of, I don't know if this is like she's influencing him with some kind of like a spell or if this, like, what is this? Like, is this, is she really telling this story this way? Because this is the way that you would tell a little kid, like, oh, and then there were these eggs. Right. Seven eggs. And it's like, that's the fucking Ogdruja. Like, clearly that's the, the Ogdruja had in this in the void. Maybe she's making a false equivalence. Right. Okay. You know, maybe right. this this particular dragon pair and their seven eggs is a different beast than the, the Ogdruja had in the seven. Right. I, I do think it's interesting that they're both seven, though. Yeah. Yeah. It almost feels and, like a false reality that's well, laid on top of this other reality it's just like their concurrent reality like it's just weird like because i mean we're gonna find out later that like the bobby yaga has been after this dragon for a while so maybe it's a false maybe she's creating a false equivalence to get kashi on her side right right i just wonder where the storytelling begins and ends because it's so weird and nebulous or maybe she really believes that this dragon is part of the object you had right Let's come back to that. I do want to come back to that when we get to um, one of the later issues. Everything about her is so gross and manipulative, though. Like, she's someone who's like, I eat children and I like it for fun. Right. And so everything about her is just like, I want this, so I'm going to get it by any means necessary, no matter what. And I don't care who I have to fucking go through to do it. I just want power and eating children. And so it just seems like I don't really trust anything she fucking says. So this whole thing with the like the way she tells the story seems completely bent towards right. just her own goals. Hmm. And I'm not really because like 
the dragon seems like an okay guy to me. Well, well I want to. I definitely want to come back mark? to that. I don't know. So she sets Kashi out against the dragons, and she tells him to go through the woods and go to the mountains. Roll this ball of string before you. It will lead the way. And so I love this idea of this ball of string that kind of unravels itself. So I had to do a little bit of research into this. There's a story called The Princess and the Goblin. It's a children's fantasy novel by George MacDonald. It was published in 1872 with black and white illustrations by Arthur Hughes. In the story, the princess who's named Irene is given a ring by her great-grandmother attached to a thread invisible except to her, which connects her constantly to her home. So, you know, Mignola likes to take these little things from different folklores. And we've heard the different animals call the Baba Yaga grandmother. Right, yeah. You know, so I couldn't help but find a parallel between that story, The Princess and the Goblin, and this idea of the string that leads them. I'm absolutely sure that that is the thing, that that's the reference. Right. Also, that makes me think of like... You go into the Minotaur's, the Minotaur's maze, and you take the thread, and you, oh, then yeah. you can get out again. That's another. That's uh. another version of that. But in yeah. here, but it, well, it's not really because in here, like the you know, it disappears, and they're like, "Hey, we can't pull the <laughs> string out." So it's not really. But yeah. Apparently, the Princess and the Goblin was also made into an animated movie, oh, okay. which got bad reviews. Oh, okay. So <laughs> well, I don't know if anyone's seen do? that. And I don't know the way that she sets this all up. She's like, "Hey, so." Pick a couple of guys. Everyone else is gonna fucking die. So right, right off the bat, I'm like, this but seems like not she didn't even great. Say that. She just says, pick a couple of guys. Yeah, right. She doesn't even say. Yeah, exactly. Right, right, right. right. But that's like, yeah. He's like, ah, oh, draw a circle around these couple of the ones that people, you really trust. These people here, and then everyone else is completely demolished by right. giant birds. And so we see when night comes. All these giant birds. It makes me think of the harpies, too, that we saw in Wake the Devil. It's just our giant birds, though, so that's pretty cool. I don't know if I could choose a way to go. Not bad. They just come and they just kill all these guys. The few that Kashi has picked are standing there, and Kashi says, Gods are devils. There's nothing for it now but to go on. And that seems like the running theme of this. Right. Well... Gods or devils, good or bad. I just I just have to keep going. Literally right. have to keep going. But like you don't, like you can stop. Anytime you can just stop. I like how you refer to the the few that he picked and there are clearly just three people. Right. Just a couple of people. <laughs> yeah. It's just three people. But yeah. These, these these eagles also remind me of the eagles from Lord of the Rings and the yeah. Hobbits. I mean, but only pissed off because they're shredding the fuck out of these motherfuckers yeah well, we were we were also led to believe that those people were not great too. right so in the context of like a story where like okay. you know so hey you know okay yeah. okay that's they're still getting shredded though yeah yeah but they were like they were like we were they were painted as being like hey these are the worst of the worst yeah. i don't know about these guys so and i'm kind of like it cancels each other out it's all right and whenever there's these panels of all this destruction we just get all this red from dave stewart you know encompassing all these panels so it just really adds that kind of drama of all of the killing and everything that's going on we get another great chapter two cover by mignola and dave stewart i love this with the dragons and the eggs and all that kind of stuff right and so we pick up somewhere in hell we get that frame story again at the drunken limpet with hellboy and kashi Holy crap. So a talking goose sent you to Baba Yaga. She told you she'd help you out. 
gave you some magic string, then sent giant birds to kill all your guys? (laughs) (laughs) Well, not not all of them. It's great. It's good shit. And so those ones in the circle, like Aubrey said, those three, they were spared. Old Fyodor and the twins, Mishka and Elena. They're like, hey, all right, cool. And this Fyodor is just like, what the shit? (laughs) Most of the others were bad men, Kashi tells Hellboy. Any number of them would have cut my throat if they thought it would do them any good. Yeah, still. (laughs) There was nothing to be done. Okay, like, was there nothing to be done? Or... So they follow the magic string into the woods. I love this little shot of like, ah, it's like a tree. There's some mushrooms and this little string bouncing along. Right. I kind of wonder why the string wasn't left where it was and then continued to roll kind of a thing. Right. I kind of thought that's what it was going to be. Like the strings, once it's laid out on the ground, it's like maybe like it's a magic golden line. Right. And then the ball is still bouncing forward, but it's just like literally like this ball of string is just bouncing. They have to follow it. Like there's no string behind it. It's like a little animal in its tail. Yeah. Yeah. So that was kind of interesting. It's like what a cat would chase. Sure. Yeah. So Fyodor's like, did the witch tell you anything else? She did, Kashi says. Along the way, we are to find a man whose father was a fish and whose mother was a cow. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. Cool. Of course. That's probably not hard. How difficult could that be? Yeah. And so the ball of string leads them to the Leshy. And so we met the Leshy in Darkness Calls as well, right? We saw him in there. Big fan of the Leshy, for sure. He's like, oh, come and walk with me. There are things I have to tell you. Fyodor's like, oh, you go on. I've had my eye on that fat rabbit over there. By the time you come back, no, Leshy says. I'm the Leshy and these woods are mine. Every living thing here is under my protection. And so we kind of saw that too in Darkness Calls. They have a little back and forth. He's like, oh, why? And the guy's like, "Uh, because I fucking said so. Go eat those acorns and nuts and shit you find on the ground. There's some, (laughs) there's like nuts and berries. Just eat those pecans and walnuts and shit until I get back. Just chill. And the guy's like, I don't know about all that, but just do it, man. Right. He's like, are we men or squirrels? Be careful, the less she says. I am a hundred times more fond of squirrels. Oh, <laughs> shit. It's a good line, though. They tell the story about this man whose father was a fish and whose mother was a cow. And I like this telling of this story, right? Um, there was a queen whose da- who had a daughter and could bear no sons. And so the witch told her that she should eat a certain magic fish. And so the fish was caught and brought to her palace and given to the cook. The cook gutted the fish and threw its guts out the window where they were eaten by a cow. The cook prepared the fish. I did not and know co- that cows would eat that. Maybe it was in the grass that cows eat and mm. just haven't eaten the grass of the cow. Right. Okay, okay. Gotcha. And then the cook also couldn't resist eating a piece of the fish, too. A little piece there. As he was preparing it, you see a little, uh, little piece cut out there. I will say any chef that doesn't try part of the dish that they're making, how do you know it tastes good? How do you know you didn't oversalt right. it? I mean, you got to try it a little bit. But yeah, probably would have done a little bit of the underside there. And so the queen also ate the rest of the fish, meat and bones. In the morning, all three, the cow, the cook, and the queen, all gave birth to sons. Okay. (laughs) All right. Wait, what kind of freak eats fish bones? (laughs) Yeah, that's intense. I don't know. She wanted to make sure sure. that she got every piece of it so she could bear children. Well, she had dogs. Excuse me, I'm going to go throw up right now. Yeah. (laughs) I did have to look this up, too. Collected by Arthur Lang in the Orange Fairy Book in 1910, there's this story called The Girlfish. It was originally shared by Francisco 
Mass Pons y Labros in his collection of tales, Cuentos Populars Catalans. After mending a fishing net, the girl encounters a beautiful fish that she wants to eat for dinner. Well, you are a beauty, she cried to herself, but the fish looked up at her and said, You'd better not kill me, for if you do, I will turn you into a fish yourself. The girl doesn't heed the warning and brings it home to her mother, who also warns her not to eat the fish. Yeah. The woman eats the fish, and then she turns into a fish. Okay. And so that made me think of that. And the Orange Fairy book by Andrew Lang has been referenced in other Mignolaverse stories. So, you know, I wonder if that's where they got this idea of this magical fish. There could also be another story where this is like also a thing. I wonder sure. if that's, I don't know. That's the only one that I was able to find, though. Right on. I dig this outfit that she's got on, like the hat and everything. Oh, great design. Yeah, yeah. that's cool. Yeah, and so the less she says that he can find the cow's son somewhere beyond the woods and before the mountains. I know you are bound for those mountains to hunt dragons, but be careful. I fought them myself when I was young. Even old and sick as they are now, they are hard to kill. And he shows he's got all these scars. Right, so the Leshy, who is there to protect nature and the forests and the animals and plants that live in the forest, he's like, I tried to fight them. And so I couldn't kill them. They, they fucked me up. So that's now making me wonder like, oh, why was he tangling with them? What's that right. about? Are they are they bad? Maybe I should be like, hey, well, he even- I don't like them now. So I'm kind of going back and forth through the story of like, hey, maybe they're not so bad. Like, oh, well, the Leshy was fighting them. So maybe that's, you know, maybe they're fucked up. So I don't know. He even says that if they do hatch, it will be a bad thing for the world, man and beast. Sure. And so if you're someone who's like, oh, I trust this guy. Maybe now I'm changing my opinion back again of the dragons. Like, oh, they are bad. So throughout this whole story, it's like you said earlier, it's very nuanced of like, hey, uh, Kashi's very clearly doing some extremely evil shit. Why is he the protagonist? Why are we like, oh, I hope that something good happens soon. (laughs) So it's very, yeah, weird. I like this this next page here, the the transformation uh, page. These three panels are incredible. And there were uh, three panels of transformation just uh, like this in Darkness Calls by Duncan Figredo. And as the Leshy tosses the ball of string back to Kashi, he says... But you should know that Baba Yaga seldom does anything, gives any gift that does not benefit her in the end. Baba Yaga is a witch. Dragons are dragons. And too often, men are men. Therefore, have safe passage through my woods so long as you obey my rules. He has no faith in any of this. He's like, fuck the dragons. Right. Fuck all the men. Fuck the Baba Yaga. Right. I wonder now, again, I'm at a, par- I'm at a point in the story where I'm like, what if Kashi just says, you know what? Fuck all this. I'm going to stay here and be one of okay. these guys. And I'm going to do that same shit that he's, he lives in the forest. I'm going to live in the forest. I'm going to be a forest guy in particular. He could just stop. He could just stop and go live in the forest and be a forest guy. But he's like, no, I'm going to do it the hard way. And so when he says, so long as you obey my rules, we see that Theodore Immediately killed one of those rules. rabbits. And then he was killed by this wolf. Yeah. Nice. We continued on a long time or a short time. I don't remember now, but we ate nuts from the ground and had no more trouble. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. And just beyond the woods, we found Ivan, whose mother was a cow. And he's like, hello. Yeah. Hello. (laughs) 
And so we get Ivan's story. He says that he's looking for the dragons. His sister was carried off by a dragon. I like this because he's like, in those days, my two brothers lived in the palace and I lived in the field. So, like, there was a discrepancy with the one that was born from the cow. Right. You know what I mean? Like, he wasn't allowed into the palace with the ones that were born from the cook and from the queen. Well, he's a cow. He's chilling with the cows. Right. So. Yeah. He does seem content uh, with his life. He's, like, yeah. chilling under that tree. He's got a bottle. Looks like a fruit. Yeah. Yeah. There's a dragon flying in the background. Right. <laughs> That's the dragon carrying off his sister. Yeah. And he says his brothers rode off to rescue her, um, but he knew, knew nothing about it. Only when a year had passed and they didn't return, then the queen sent someone to tell me about it. So now he's looking for them. He says, I've been looking for a long time. The other day I heard about a man who once wandered into a cave and discovered the kingdom of the dragons. I thought I would find that man and ask him to take me there. So we cut back to the frame story. Yeah. Hellboy's like, hang on. Wait what about minute, the magic string? Wasn't that supposed to lead you? Yeah. That damn thing ran off once we got clear of the woods, Kashi says. <laughs> <laughs> I love how the string's got its own personality. And it's like, fuck this. I'm out of here. It, well, the string is like, I got you through the woods. Now fuck off. Right. Uh, that's good. And so I love this. They go and they look for this man. And they talk to this old lady about it. And she's like, oh, that crazy old Dimitri. No one believed his stories, but he died yesterday. Maybe you can catch him before they put him in the ground. Yeah. Like nothing. You know what I mean? Like they're like, yeah, you can still catch him. They haven't put him in the ground yet. First of all, I like how much room this ha takes up. It's very clever. It takes up more space than usual in the word bubble itself. Oh, yeah. It's a, like almost yeah. like a design thing to be like, ah, Dimitri. Ha! Yeah. Yeah, right. No one ever believes his fucking shit. She's like, yeah, yeah, he died, but like, you might be able to catch him before they bury him. Just like, sure. Why not? Okay. Ivan, the son of the cow, he's like, Dimitri, who's calling me? Ah, it's a snake guy. Boom, this coffin bursts open and the snake comes out. See what comes of breaking an oath made to dragons, he says. intense. And so I love this because this is almost like the opposite of Kashi's story. He was the same thing. He found the cave of the dragons. They told him that if he served them for nine years, they would let him go. But he didn't serve them. He escaped. <laughs> yeah. He was crafty. And when they weren't looking, he escaped them. And now he's someone else. He's not Dimitri anymore. He's a snake. He's, yeah. But he's not a Dimitri snake. He's not like Dimitri that's been turned into a snake. He's like, poor Dimitri. He's gone now. Oh, yeah. I'm a different guy and I'm oh, a snake. Okay. It's yeah. like, okay, cool, man. And he's like, and then I tell you my story. I was young and I got in some bandits and then I did this and I'm a snake and I'm telling you my snake story. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. I don't know. I kind of I like this guy. And um, so I did kind of look for this folktale as well. I couldn't find a specific one, but there are a lot of folktales where dragons become snakes or snakes become dragons. You know, so I thought that was kind of interesting, but I couldn't find one where the dragons curse someone to become a snake or when he escapes them, he become he turns into something else that's a snake or yeah. something like that. He's like been reborn as a snake. And then I died and now I'm a snake. Okay, bye. I love this little interlude here because it's like, there's so many interesting things. Go find yeah. this guy who was born from a cow. <laughs> now go find this guy who... Betrayed these dragons and now he's a snake and good luck to you. And it's just like, yeah, um, it's very Mignola, this charming little, all these charming things that happen along it, yeah. the way. You know, even the ball of string that 
tells them all to fuck off and leaves yeah. them stranded there. You know what I mean? All these little elements are just very charming and makes the story so enjoyable. It's super good. Yeah, I really There's something I love humorous the, yeah. about it. Yeah. <laughs> I love this snake that's just like telling them this whole involved story and then I died. Now I'm a snake. And they're like, all right, good luck. And he's like, yep, good luck to you, friends. Bye. So he leads them to the cave, and then I feel like here's where it starts to get serious. Yeah, you there's know, a lot of, that's the thing, is that there's had so some many, levity. there's so many charming elements, like you said, that are very interesting and cool and fun and, fun and whatever, and then interspersed into all this is just incredible, horrific violence and gore, and it's like, I'm like, oh yeah... Yeah, now we got to do this now. Right. Okay. And, and it goes back to being incredibly sad. And just like in Frankenstein Underground, when Frankenstein took the little girl through the palace, we almost get just like a whole wordless page here as they're going through this yeah, cave. Yeah, like pacing. Yeah. And I like the whole... She's very sensitive about the way that she says, hey, Ivan. And he's like, oh. Right. Just the emotion there is very palpable. Like, you can kind of see... Like, he has like the spirit of a cow like the heart of a cow he's just a sensible sweet little baby right oh okay and so we know that one of his brothers was a prince and the other one was the son of a cook and so here they are dead and they still talk to him the prince says take me home so my mother can lay me to rest in the family crypt and the son of the cook says take me home so my mother can bury me in her garden and find your sister i like how you can tell who's who with the uh fancy hat right you got the fancy hat and you got the little popper's hat you know you got the little kind of little little worker's hat there and then he finds the skull of the little girl too ah, yeah so sad. and so they lead down into where the dragon's eggs are and i love this reveal here because it's all kind of dark and then we go into like this green tunnel and we get all this green light and so you know, whenever we've talked about the dragons or the Ogdrujahat or anything like that, remember Nimue and stuff like that, it would all be this green color. And so I think it's interesting that it's all tinted like this. And we see the seven eggs, and you can't help but think of the Ogdrujahat out there in the Absolutely. abyss. Absolutely. It's a right? complete parallel. I mean, it looks... It's the same. I mean, it's the, that's the, it's the thing. Uh, one thing I really like about this top panel where he walks into the eggs is not only is it all green the, and the lighting of the cave that they're in and all that, the the torch is still orange. Yeah. And you got the orangey light to it and all that. So it kind of yeah. like the, the transition of that. Yeah. What is that to you? Like, what is that? Do you, do you feel like that symbolizes something or... No, it's just it, to me. It's just like he's stepping out of the artificial light to the okay other artificial light. I wonder if that's meant to evoke, like you know, something. you're going into this other realm. Yeah, or this I wonder other if that's space. meant yeah. to remind us of something. Like maybe it's meant to remind us of oh, the possibility that he could still hang on to this reality over here where he has a soul oh, and is a man okay. and then but he's tur- he's turning away from that into this other realm of going into doing this stuff. I don't know. Maybe I'm reaching. But that's that's really cool, Aubrey. I like that you pointed that out because like the composition of this panel is it makes me wonder because that isn't the foreground. Maybe it's meant to remind us of something. You know, that is that is really interesting. Like the color theory going on and the composition of that like that's a good point. I hadn't really noticed that, but that's good. I like that you point that out. They go down in there, and of course, like Hellboy says here, it's too easy. Yeah. 
and we see the brother Mishka. He's like, oh, the sooner we can get out of here and get this done. And they're like, no, wait. And he's like, no, come on. You worry too much. And Kashi, who fears no death, when did you become an old? And then the dragon pops out, right? Yeah, and we've got some severe facial expressions going on like she's not having she's like fuck no don't go over there and it's too late he's already over there and she's freaking out because obviously he just got he just got ate by this dragon and so i love the pacing as you turn the page here because it's like it just pops out and then snap it yeah just, god that is really cool the movement is yeah. so good it's good stuff i like with one snap she's got his head and his arm it's Horrible, but also amazing. It's yeah. br- no, it's brutal, but yeah, it's very... Because, um, yeah, it's not going to be exact. There's going to be, you know... You feel that motion, that yes. quick motion of this dragon, you know. It makes me think, again, too, like the perspective... Like, this story is kind of from another perspective, almost, of like... We've been made aware of like, oh, what would happen if the Ogre Jihad? Oh, and these seven dragons in their cocoons and all this stuff. And so now we've got this, these seven dragon eggs that are very much... You know, we've already talked about the parallels between, like, visually, but, like, I I don't know. It's making me kind of go back and rethink, like, yeah, to the people on Earth, like, this is fucked up. All these monsters, uh, they're taking over. But, like, to these monsters, what if they're just like, hey, I'm here now. What am I doing? Right. Those uh-huh. are my babies. You're yeah. trying to get my babies So, I don't know. Now. Like, that's, you know, obviously I'm not, like, it's good that the monster apocalypse is happening. No, but it is interesting that they're presenting it and almost it's like a fairy tale storybook kind of a world like a kind of an alternate reality type of a thing it's very strange and we get some great action here by stenbeck and stewart as kashi elena and ivan fight this dragon and so as we move through these panels the dragon's about to get elena but then ivan is able to make the killing blow just as the eggs are cracking open and so that's a great panel as he like chops off the dragon's head and we see it flying through the air. And then all the eggs open up and then these little dragons come out. Little babies. And then they've got to kill all these little babies too. Again, they hear the words of the Baba Yaga. When they hatch, the race of dragons will begin again. The spirits that fought them once are long gone, so it is for you to do it. This is kind of fucked up. It really to me. is. Like yeah. they're just little babies. They just hatch they're just tiny little babies and so watching them kill them all is just kind of like wait do i is this good what's happening what's happening right now again they hear the words of the baba yaga kill the last dragon save all mankind and in doing so save yourself but he doesn't save himself. No, it's right? bad, actually. So they kill all the dragons, and we see like the head of the mom dragon or of the adult dragon next to the dead baby uh, dragon. No. And they turn, and they see the dragon that saved Kashi, and he's standing there, his and he's face. He has such a kind of expression. Yeah, expression he's face. so horrified. Horrible. It was painful. It was painful to look at the expression on his face, and that's to be able to draw that kind of despair yeah is uh yeah wow it makes you feel bad for him yeah especially when we know that he's the one that found kashi in the woods and saved him and then even gave him another chance and hid his soul for him and all this kind of stuff and the uh just going back with the color theory we're talking about the eyes are orange right gods and devils damn me to hell kashi says that is the last dragon so Kashi going after the dragons is just like, was he just really manipulated by Baba Yaga? 
Or did he literally forget that it was a dragon that saved him? I'm kind of curious about that. Maybe she magically manipulated him into briefly forgetting that while he was on his quest and manipulated him and did all this stuff. And he was like, oh, shit. Yeah, I I don't think he realized that one of the two dragons that were left was the one that saved him. Because he made a weird face. He was like, dragons. Stenbeck drew a very specific facial expression for Kashi when she was like, "Ah, you got to go kill the dragons. And he was like, dragons and he kind of made this like squinty like right. uh, trying to remember something face so i wonder if like she had some kind of otherworldly hold on him that kind of that's clouded question, his Aubrey. judgment yeah, there that's yeah. a really good question is uh, did he not realize that this was the same dragon yeah also this panel kind of made me make connections that may not even be there but i don't know if this is even a parallel that was intentional or if i'm coming out of this out of nowhere but is it hellboy was an abe who knows because abe's kind of a half a fish half a man Mm. he's kind of half a cow half a man she's like i'm a lady i'm fighting people here i am hanging out with you it's three of us and he's like i'm the protagonist i'm hellboy maybe okay except i'm different because things are going real real bad (laughs) for me Archetypes. Archetypes. What are they? What are they? We go into chapter three, and we get this horrifying nightingale bird on yeah. the cover. Yikes. We go back to our frame story at the drunken limpet somewhere in hell. And Kashi's like, the last dragon. He's pouring you know, the drink into his cup. Hellboy's like, damn. I hadn't really thought about it till that moment. Or... I had tried to forget how much of my life was owed to the dragon. I feel like Kashi just answered my question. So right. Maybe Hellboy, Hellboy asked Kashi my question. <laughs> so, hey, you're asking all the right questions because the narrative is about to address that. That's awesome. Yeah. Also, I want to point out, like, John, you were earlier, uh, you and Aubrey were saying about, like, oh, whom the bell tolls. This is what the picture is. It's leaning very heavily towards Kashi. Isn't it leaning towards Hellboy? I feel like it's leaning towards Kashi. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Definitely leaning. It's definitely definitely leaning. leaning. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so Elena and Ivan, they try and go and kill the dragon, but Kashi stops them. Like, hell no. They're like, what? Have you forgotten? He just killed my brother. And what did we do? Kashi says, look around. They just killed all these babies. Yeah, man. You brought us here to kill dragons, all the dragons, Elena says, and we have and we will, but not for revenge. We do this thing because it must be done, and I will finish it. What you've done here, my wife, all my future generations, the dragon says, you've already killed me as surely as cut my heart out with your blade. Only Kashi, grant me this, the dragon says, let me breathe my last in my own bed. And you want to see it done? Then come with me. And Kashi's like, I will. And they're like, no, you can't do this. And he's like, oh, what harm can be done? I feel like this guy has a habit of getting the point just after it matters. Right. Like after. Like right after you did this fucked up thing that it would have helped if you had just stopped and said, no, I'm not going to do this fucked up thing. Right. And it's just like over and over. And it's like at some point you have to be like, look, I've done a lot of fucked up shit. I've done a lot of fucked up shit. Maybe I should stop doing fucked up things. I can stop anytime I want. I can stop doing fucked up things right now. But he doesn't stop doing them. He keeps doing fucked up things. And so Ivan says he's going to take his siblings home and bury them. And Kashi tells Elena 
that he wants her to take whatever treasures, but enough that you never need to go back to soldiering. And he's like, "Ah, go do all this." And she's like, "Ah, yeah. When I'm finished, I'll uh, I'll come be with you. Let me let me let me come with you." And she's like, "Nah, you're gonna go off somewhere else, and we're never gonna see each other again." Right. And so here we get like. She she wanted to be with him. She's crying. Or she yeah. loved him, you know? She's upset. And he says, you were as good a companion as a man could ask for, but it's clear to me now that I gave up a man's life when I chose to hide my soul from the world. This is that, this is that sunk cost fallacy of like, well, it's too late now. I did too many fucked up things. Right. So now I'm going to reject my only path back to redemption. Which is like, no, you could still, like, here's your chance. Here's another fucking chance. She's like blatantly like well you could literally start over with me and we could have a new life and make new choices and he's like nah but i do love this pacing you know that man turns into the dragon and then it grabs kashi as he's talking and flies off with yeah him. Like, i can see it happening yes. you know um how it grabs him as he's still talking to her and flies him up in the air as he finishes his sentence yeah really good um direction yeah i guess is what that is good blocking it's really dramatic yeah so he returned to the castle with the dragon there to watch him die and all these guys are like around that like all these they're all watching him yeah, yeah. There's, like a, there's like a millipede like oh i never thought that you could depict a millipede with emotions or right. feelings but this little guy just seems to be like so worried and like oh just very intently Watch it. And then you've got like this. Uh, the sensitive side of all these yeah, monsters. Yeah, this four eyed frog and this, you know, all these guys who are just very intently like, they're worried. They're, you know, they're hanging out in there and they seem upset. Like it's very did you all soulful. Fo- did you all focus in on this headboard here? I thought that was very immaculately rendered. Yeah. You know, all the little designs on there and stuff. Well, it's a two-headed bird here right at the center. The centerpiece of the design is this two-headed bird. Yeah. So let's remember that. I had not focused in on that. Mm. (laughs) And the dragon as the man, he's lying there in his bed and he's dying. He says, I do not blame you, my son. It was the Baba Yaga. She has been here many times, first to ask for, then to beg, finally to try and steal the powers I have. So I feel like that's a definitive kind of a... Right. She definitely had power over him and and definitely influenced him almost like without him knowing it kind of a deal. So, As he's laying there dying, he says, so now she has decided that if she cannot have my powers, she shall wipe them out of existence. She cannot tolerate any power greater than her own but she is only a witch. She is of the earth, while the thing in me, in the beginning, there were spirits sent down to watch over the creation of the world. They were slaves to the higher power, but longed to be masters. So they created slaves of their own, my race, the first dragons, and we were slaves. So here's another perspective of the Watchers, right? The Watchers, they wanted to be masters, and so they created the dragons so they could be masters over them. That's That's his point of view. Yeah. But on that first night, the moon and the stars shone down on us. And maybe it was pity, or maybe they did love us a little, for they bestowed upon us the knowing of secret things. And so, so we've the always... The the stars are coming in as, like, these are characters. But we've always heard that darkness was born. Uh-huh. But here it's like, oh, no, the darkness showed down on us. Mm-hmm. And it gave us this knowing of secret things. But is it even darkness? Because it's like... He's talking about moon and stars. Right. That's light and reflection of light. Yeah. So this is so the moon and stars are like characters in and of themselves. They have 
sentience and they're they have kind of a aliveness about them and they're right. like hey we're gonna bestow this upon you but we've always heard it a different way yeah, exactly and so these so this is like hey we were slaves and we're just trying to get along man and these guys were dicks actually and so it's they a whole to, different like you said it's a whole different perspective on that they went to war against them they killed them but a few escaped burned into the earth those are the Hem, right they're to grow old or to die Kashi says the Babiaga said that those new dragons born from those eggs would eventually conquer the world and destroy all mankind. They might have, the old dragon says, who can know for sure what children will become. Or they might have someday found men worthy and passed that secret knowledge onto them. We will never know. Interesting. And so we think of Hellboy, too. It makes me think of Hellboy. You know, he's a demon born of Earth, but too many people said, well, we don't know what he's going to become. The visitor even said, we don't know what's going to happen with this guy. So many people wanted to kill him right as he showed up and he's a little baby. Exactly. That's what we just saw. People like slaying little baby dragons the instant they come out of their eggs. And it's like, what if that was Hellboy? But Hellboy, they were like, oh, he's going to be the destroyer. And he's like, yeah, the destroyer of hell. And so when we were talking with Mark last week, we talked so much about it's the choices that you make, you know, and here to think that even the dragons, even these evil things that we know all about and we've seen destroy mankind, they could have had a choice too. Yeah. Maybe this was it, you know, maybe these dragons that were born, um, if they would have been allowed to hatch, could have turned the world in a different direction sure. than the hell on earth that we've seen now. So it just adds so much nuance maybe to... Maybe these dragons were like the seven opposing could have been like the... the ah, se- maybe oh, we're yeah, uh, I love the opposite that. of the Ardu... You know, remember, we're like the whatever, you know what I'm saying. Right. We're so going to be the opposite been, of sure. that. Or, yeah. That could have been mean, a whole thing. I mean, this guy is clearly, he's, he's, they're chilling, they're talking. He's a guy. Like, what if the babies, you talk to this guy and the mom and the babies, and they're like the dragon family that's like going to lead the charge against this whole shit. And so who, who fucking knows? So that's, yeah, that's got me thinking on a whole different yeah. level here. We talked so much last week about the choices that you make, and I couldn't help but think of that yeah. when I was reading this. Hell, Hellboy's re- only reaction to all this. Very traumatic. Jeez. Very, yeah. That's what I'm thinking, this too, as I read this, because I feel like that's him, too. Yeah. You know, he's he's in the exact same boat as those baby dragons were. Well, there's were. a lot of parallels here. It's a lot of... It's almost the same story, like, mirrored into this, like... Yeah. I don't know. This one panel where he says, geez, I love the way that uh, Sinbad renders his eye sock that's been ripped out that he gave to Bobby Yaga, because you can still see where the eye should be in this, like, you know, empty spot where he gave it to the Bobby Yaga. And I just, I don't know, I just think it's a really wonderful rendering. Yeah, I like it. And so Kashi says that he was furious with himself, furious at the Baba Yaga for what she had tricked him into doing. It's like a whole life of him being furious with himself, though. And I keep wondering, like, when is it going to stop? You know, like, yeah. it's just... And just like you said, he realizes too late because now he's like, oh, I really did want to be his son. You know, he yeah, could have done that, it's very... you know, but he didn't. So now he decides that he's going to stay down there and learn all the magic that he can. And, and now so... he's going to do this whole thing of like, I will be your apprentice. I will be your son. And I will take up the mantle and do all this. But like, he's gone. Like, it's so sad. Yeah. So fucking sad. Uh, Professor Broom. 
like Hellboy got some time with him though. And right. he did get to learn some stuff. And yeah, he did it his own style, he did it his own way, but he still got to you know, and that end was very tragic, but he he was there for it too, and it was kind of a like the yeah, the loss is terrible, but he when he lived on, he did this whole thing of like, ah, I'm gonna keep going and do the BPRD. So I, this kind of makes me think like all these guys around here, like, are they the BPRD? Right. Okay. Of this. Of of this realm or whatever. Yeah. So Kashi says when he learned enough, he went to settle with the Baba Yaga, but she was gone and he couldn't find her. It's an epic fucking panel where he's like, ah, I'm gonna go find the Baba Yaga. Like that's a very like I'm yeah. gonna go do this, but then he's like, but then I didn't find her, so. So he drifted back into the company of men, the worst sort, the lowest sort of murderers, man-eaters, and werewolves. I went back to selling my sword, but now also my magic. So he's got some magic powers here. Right. Until one day he was called upon by a king, and the king tells him about the nightingale. It terrorizes my kingdom. Sings night and day, the king says. All who hear it are struck dead. Great Kashi... They say you cannot die. Will you kill this thing and bring me its head so I can show my people they have nothing more to fear? So the idea of like a song killing. Right. Like when you hear it is kind of something that shows up every once in a while. There's stories about it here and there about stuff like that. So that's cool. Yeah. So I did look this. uh, I did look into this. There's a story called The Nightingale. It's a literary fairy tale written by Hans Christian Andersen. The Emperor of China learns that one of his most beautiful things in his empire is the Song of the Nightingale. When he orders the nightingale brought to him, a kitchen maid leads the court to a nearby forest where the nightingale agrees to appear at his court. It remains as the Emperor's favorite. When the Emperor is given a bejeweled mechanical bird, he loses interest in the real nightingale who returns to the forest. The mechanical bird eventually breaks down and the Emperor is taken deathly ill a few years later. The real Nightingale learns of the Emperor's condition and returns to the palace, whereupon Death is so moved by the Nightingale's song that he allows the Emperor to live. But there is also a Native American Omaha tribe believe that if you heard a Whippoorwill's song, he or she was advised to decline it. If the bird stopped calling, a person who had answered would die. But if the calls continued, the person would have a long life. I also, um, in my research, couldn't help but think of a swan song, which is a metaphorical phrase for a final gesture, effort, or performance given just before death or retirement. Yeah, so there are a lot of different, like, elements of uh, this idea, you know? Yeah. So I was actually thinking that this is another king that has come to him. The first time a king came to him, Mm. he he got a wife and murdered out of it, and now he's got a new king coming after him. And, of course, we see how that plays out. Yeah. Right. Those are True. Parallels. Yeah, no, that's 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 a great point. Yeah, actually, I didn't even think of that. Of that. Like, <laughs> but if I, if I were Kashi, I'd just be like, another king? Fuck off. Fuck off, kings. Fuck off all kings. Go away. I love his expression, though, as he's sitting there with his hand on his side. He's got that yeah, red yeah, right. ring or whatever. Yeah. But he heard the king's concerns, and he was like, oh, this guy really cares about his people. And so maybe... He was really a man, or maybe there was a heart of a man still inside him. You mentioned whippoorwills. I don't know if... If you're listening to this and you don't know what a whippoorwill looks like, just Google it real quick. They're amazing. They're uh, they're a kind of night jar, and night jars are incredible. Okay. I love night jars. I love night jars and, like, tawny frog mouths and just any kind of night jar or frog mouth or anything like that are just, like, the most amazing birds. They're They're super weird, and I love them. 
So Kashi's like, I'm going to do this for myself. I'm going to help these people. That's the right thing to do. And so we see him. He goes and he finds this nightingale. He's like, I'm in a swamp. There's this, lots of... This rendering just, of this yeah. creature is really incredible. I mean, it doesn't really even have a beak. You know what I mean? It's kind of like... I guess it is kind of like a frog mouth. Well, it's, like a weird, it's like a weird monster mouth yeah. bird. But yeah, uh, just singing. Just singing, having a good time. It's got time. that triplet in the song balloon or whatever. Yeah. And so he brings it. And I like this detail. He puts like a brick in its mouth and ties it in there so no one can hear the song. He's like, I'm going to do something good. And then he's immediately like, oh, man, come yeah. on. Because they're Cause like, we're not good. We're going to be dicks. Let's let's show you what we're going to do with a nightingale. Yeah. A catapult, Kashi says. <laughs> Capable, my engineers assure me, of hurtling this dreadful object into the neighboring kingdom. I've long had a grudge with that king. I've only to find a deaf giant to operate the machine. No. And Kashi's like, he, and I like this, he just waves his hand. Yeah. He does, now he's got magic powers. So he just waves his hand, the rock falls out, and the nightingale song is heard again. The king died first, then his advisors, then my own men. And then Kashi takes the mouth and opens it even wider, which I think is so incredible. You know, that idea that he's like, I'm going to make it sing louder and kill everyone. This is fucking gruesome. Then though. burn it all. Yeah. And there ended the last trace of Kashi the man. Now, Kashi the devil. Damn, dude. So this um, Nightingale's head and its killer song kind of reminds me of uh, Medusa. Like, even if you cut off mm, her head, okay. she'll certainly do something. Oh, yeah. I like yeah. that. Yeah, I didn't even think and of, of course, that. My, my information definitely comes from the 1980s film <laughs> Clash of the Titans. Uh, nice, I used to love that nice. movie. Yeah. Which is a great movie. Yeah. <laughs> but that is so interesting that it even affects it even while its head is cut off. Right. Like, yeah. Like, like Medusa. Very yeah. Cool. So that's one thing of like. Hey, look at me turning to stone. Hey, listen to this. You're going to be dead. Yeah, it's a different. Aubrey. It's just a different sense. Yeah, yeah, cool. I like that. Thanks for bringing that up. Well, that was pretty horrible, Hellboy says. <laughs> you can all agree with Hellboy on that one. It's pretty horrible. I mean, I get it with the king and his guy and your guys. No huge loss there. But there have to have been innocent men, women, and children, Kashi says. Of course. And thus I entered into the darkest period of my life. That's uh, most of it. First part was already pretty, pretty dark. <laughs> I decided it was best to separate myself from people. Kashi says, "Yeah, probably for the best." Yeah. <laughs> I love this banter it's between good. Hellboy it's real good. and Kashi. This frame story is just perfect for this kind of story because it gets so dark and it gets so horrible. But then when you cut back to Hellboy and you've got his little commentary over it, it's Jeez, just man. it's perfect. Fuck, dude. Yeah. Sucks. The, the framing of the story is just wonderful because I mean, yeah, every time there's something horrible, we cut back to Hellboy going, "Jeez." Yeah. Well, that was pretty horrible. His it's almost like he's supposed to be mirroring what we are feeling, which yeah. is I feel very <laughs> I feel very validated by all of his reactions. I'm like, this is extreme, right? And Hellboy's like, yeah. So you're, okay, just making sure. And it's, we always we always go on and on about how the art is beautiful, the art is amazing, the art is so incredible. And it is. It, I feel very lucky to be looking at what I'm looking at. But we've got a good fucking writer oh, yeah. right now. And I, like, how difficult is this person's job? Just, so this is, um... It's impressive to um, to get lost in this. 
the skill that it takes to do what, what he's doing. I'm really... Uh, Whenever Mignola's got the writing duties, we always get these like quirky little humorous moments like kind of interspersed with all this darkness right. and really heavy stuff. And we see Kashi, he's abandoned himself in this cave. Years passed, but even a devil can stand to be alone for so long. Oh, this little guy. So yeah, I love this little bird here. Bird. And so, so he so sees this little bird come over to him. And this this is such a brief, delicate little moment of respite. Yeah. From this horrific story we're being told and if we're going with color theory it's bright red. Yeah. Bird. So it's, you know, what we've been doing so far is kind of been trying to pay attention to, you know, the way that the tones change and everything, you know, so this is this is a very uh, stark contrast to his little surroundings here. So yeah, these these couple of panels with this little bird. I found myself being like, nothing better fucking happen to this bird. <laughs> like I was just so This little bird it makes um it makes Kashi think of his companions from his previous yeah. thing. He's like, What happened to Ivan and Elena? Well, Ivan, he chose to just be a cow. And he lived his last years and died that way. You know what? I'm with Ivan. Yeah. Right on. But Elena went back to soldiering, even even though he told her not to. And she was captured by a pirate and imprisoned. And so Kashi's like, now he's got this motivation. And he's like, imprisoned where? So he goes and he finds these pirates and he finds where she died. And he's like, who did this? And I like this little devil that's yeah. there chilling with him. He's like, oh, these, these people did yeah, it. Yeah, these guys. With his magic now, he brings down lightning, he kills all these guys, he opens up the earth, and he kills all the soldiers too, and he tells the demon to take him where Elena's buried. Even the tower behind him, the way that it crumbles behind him. Oh yeah, that is so cool. giving a shit at all is yeah. very... And we've had, you know, the tower imagery before, that kind of a thing. Oh yeah, it's it's it made me think like it's like a take on the fire burning behind somebody as they walk sure, yeah. you know as they walk yeah. all moody into the panel this is like a yeah i could definitely see that you know cinematically playing out i just love the use of his angry magic like he's like so angry as it's happening just like cause the light yeah and, yeah and then the earthquake and then the tower collapsing i mean like you said it's definitely very cinematic you, you just see it and to be like dramatic angry music playing as the, as it all comes down yeah. yeah, you do feel that yeah. rage, for sure. And so he finds her grave, and he says, I had decided to marry her. Well, sure, why not? You were... Wait, what? what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I could not restore her to life, Kashi says. Not real life, as the dragon had done for me. But I could give her something like life, a sort of half-life. Jeez. Oh, jeez. <laughs> He's like, don't do don't that. Don't do that. It's very... We, I feel like we are meant to mirror all of Hellboy's reactions and emotions here, and that's very... I told you I was in a dark place. The Kashi I was, the man, he was dead. Fitting then, I thought to marry a corpse. Come on, man, this poor... Come on. And then so we see this undead wedding between Kashi and dead Elena. There she is in her, like, kind of wedding shroud. Almost like a corpse bride ah there you go i love how there's one little demon like holding her gown or whatever you know what yeah, i mean like train. it's it's really cute and i love this like i i want to say that these are all the monsters that were with him in the dragon's castle uh, yeah and they're like yes. yeah now we're gonna be there at your wedding okay, i like these guys i like them 
Yeah, and so here's like this one peaceful moment, you know, even though it's as grotesque. It's and, horrible though, because like know, she that can't be good for her. And you know, he kisses her, and then all of a sudden, in the middle of this, Kashi the Deathless, he turns around. I've searched one end of the world to the other, and when I find you, oh, Kashi says. And so I was saved for a while. Looking back on it now, I think I should have been happier wed to that poor dead girl and living in her grave. Or just you didn't even have to take it there, though. Like you. <laughs> That's where we'll leave it for Boo, this episode. Yeah, but I I really love this story, you know, um, when this series came out. It was my favorite comic of the whole year. And I think just like Jerry said in his comment, this is probably one of the best spinoffs ever. Oh, yeah. You know, I just I just adore this story of Kashi. And, like, I never would have imagined that there would be this much to him or as much emotion, you know, that you could give this character. But it's really been an emotional ride, you know, over these three issues and um, just this back and forth between him and Hellboy, you know, having some beers in the drunken limp yeah. has been really great. Just a really nice touch on this story. It's absolutely one of my favorites, and I can't wait to uh, do the conclusion next week. Absolutely. Oh, I love this. Okay, so at the beginning, I was just like, okay, I know this story. When did we read this? When when was How Did Kasha Become Deathless? What series was that published in? Well, it's in the Weird Tales omnibus, but Mark Tweedell actually put it earlier. I forgot when we read it. We read it with a bunch of other short stories. I was just like, I know we've read this. When did we read this? I don't remember reading this. Right. But I do remember reading it. But then like it went further, and I love the framing. The framing device was so awesome. Yeah. I love the fact that he and Hellboy are just in hell in the afterlife having a beer. Super good. Uh, um and you know, and I'm excited to see where this goes. I mean, this is just an amazing story. I, I really enjoyed this um, way more than I thought I would. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly how I felt too. I was hyped for it because it starts out. It starts out with, "Hey, in the thrice nine, we're doing some weird stuff, guys." And so I was like, "Okay, nice. You got me. Let's do this." I gotta agree with you, Aubrey. Like I, I found myself immediately buying into this whole thing. Just like hell yeah, let's do it. When you have the right team for a project, anything is possible. It's gonna be good, you know. Like you, yeah, maybe you don't necessarily see how this could all be such a big involved storyline with six issues or something at the very beginning when this character's first introduced. But it kind of like, yeah, the possibilities are kind of endless when you set things up to be so fantastical like that. Yeah. And so I. Anything that has to do with any of this thrice nine lands in the thrice tenth kingdom and magic, and I'm a weird story uh, book character, but I'm different though. Yeah. So here's you know, and so all this, I I'm just completely I buy into all that immediately, and I'm 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 so down for all of that. We'll talk about it more next week, but you know, I don't always go back and buy the trade paperbacks when I have all the issues already. But this was one that, like, as soon as the trade paperback hit, like, I had to buy it that day because I just couldn't get enough of the story. And I had to see what they were going to put in the sketchbook and what extra materials were going to be in there. So, yeah, we'll definitely talk about that next week. And I'm so glad you guys enjoyed this story. We'll have a great conclusion on our next episode. And now Aubrey's going to say all the things. Aubrey. 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 Sorry, I cut you off. My bad. Kashi the Deathless. That was amazing. 
I want to hear what you think. You can send us at hey you damn guys at hellboybookclub at gmail.com and follow us on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast and on Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. You can also find all of our resources on our Facebook About section and our Podbean website. As always, a special thank you to Paul from Gartaharn for the wonderful music. Oh, man, I love it. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I love it. Paul, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Mark, book club member and sometimes guest host, uh, for the wonderful help with the reading order. Thank you, John, book club creator, uh, <laughs> for making it sound wonderful. And you guys aren't even going to hear the mess up I did five seconds ago. <laughs> <laughs> you can find the podcast on Podbean. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts from. Well, you know, like what you're listening to right now. That's where you're going to find us. <laughs> uh, next week, we are finishing up Kashi the Deathless, issues four through six, so you know what to do. Uh, yeah. Don't put your back issues away. Don't put that trade away and keep that digital copy open. And join us next week on the Hellboy Book Club podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'm John Salinas. I'm a horrible goose. And I'm Aubrey saying, pal, I've got nothing but time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. Good one.